and welcome to another episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David Johnson, the skeptic, and I'm joined by the other guy. I'm Dale, representing the Christian or Seeker side. And in the third chair, you, you, the audience. There's not room for everybody in that chair. Somebody's going to have to stand. But we're glad to have you. And speaking of the audience, uh, I just want to—I just want to make a very quick note before we jump into this long topic. Uh, I want to say thank you to all of the commenters on Skeptics and Seekers the blog. When I uh, first envisioned this project, it was always a blog first in a podcast second. So this is not a podcast with a blog attached to it. It's a blog with a podcast attached to it. And that's always been my vision. And I'm very happy with the way the blog has turned out. I'm very happy with the way the comments are, are going this year. I'm very happy with the community. Um, and I would like a call uh, to put out a call to the, the Christians that are out there. Bring some more of your friends. This is Dave the Skeptic saying, bring more of your seeker friends. It makes it even more interesting, and I think that you see by now that even though the the fighting gets a bit bare knuckles at times, it's it's a good place to have real discussions. Um, I was going to call out a few people, but I'm not. You know who you are. Um, so thanks for, uh, for jumping in and making that a... Um, a good time had by all. Uh, so, prayer. Today, prayer. Uh, the uh, title uh, that I put on my blog, Why Applying Critical Analysis to Magical Thinking is a Waste of Time. Obviously, from that, I think that prayer is an example of magical thinking. And I think that uh, when we talk about uh, reasons why prayer doesn't work. I think that's critical analysis. Obviously, by the title, we have drawn some battle lines already. I'm not making a positive claim this week. I'm simply trying to make an explanation for why it is that prayer is one of those topics that is going to forever divide skeptics and seekers. It's not a little thing. It's a major divide. It's a, it's a major divide based on worldviews. We are going to be constantly talking past each other. We will never have a meeting of the minds. I don't think that either side could ever sway the other. And I know that that probably sounds a bit fatalistic, but uh, too bad. Uh, there is, in fact, um, major worldview differences and major consequences when you have differences like this. And I think that one of the things that determines, in fact, whether a person could be a Christian uh, or, you know, at least religious, and for those people who can't be, is whether or not you believe that prayer is a reasonable thing. Because if you do, you have the kind of worldview that allows for things like gods or jinns or... Uh, any any number of things. And if you believe that the world is much more naturalistic, then you don't believe that such things are possible. And I think it breaks down as simply as that, and the breakdown just goes from there. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ramble for a little bit uh, about why I, I just think that the, the divide is uncrossable. And um, 
why I think it's somewhat hopeless to to even have this discussion, which is a, a, a strange thing to talk about since I hope to generate a lot of discussion uh, over it. So uh, the first point uh, that I made in my blog post is that uh, to even envision that prayer is possible, you have to envision a whole other kind of world, a whole other kind of cosmology. Um, And I think that you have to be as wrong about your cosmology for prayer to work as the ancients were about the three-tiered universe, about the the snow globe uh, world with the stars painted on it and, you know, underneath there's water and under that, you know, know, where the soul, where Hades is. You know, I, I, I think... Um, you know, as as wrong as that was, the co- the cosmology the cosmology that you have to have for prayer to make sense is just as wrong. It's it's just as out there, and so uh, to to try to get me to accept that prayer is a legitimate venture, you would have to get me to change my understanding of the universe in a fundamental way that is simply impossible. I I cannot regress to that level of understanding about the universe. And I think that most people who have a modern understanding about the universe cannot regress to that level either. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about some of the things uh, that you have to believe about the universe. But one of those things that you would have to believe um, is that, well, anything is possible. Anything's possible. There are no limits. Um, you know, uh, if f- for those of us who believe the universe is more naturalistic, anything is not possible. The, the laws of nature define limits to possible. And so while the Christian kind of gives lip service to caring about science and nature, they actually don't when they say things like, well, anything's possible, because they're saying that, well, you know, there aren't really any laws. Uh, or that what laws there are are more like suggestions. They can just be set aside. Um, furthermore, uh, we you would have to be saying in a world where prayer exists that these suggestions of nature are set aside probably more often than not. So, uh, you know, we often describe, Christians often describe miracles as rare uh, by necessity. But I would say that every answered prayer is a miracle if it means that God is intervening in time and space to to do something, to bring something about that otherwise would not have happened if you had not prayed. And if if God is doing that billions of times a day, then I don't see how we could actually uh, say that there's any regularity to, to the laws of nature because they're constantly being contravened. Uh, so I don't believe in a universe. Uh, where anything's possible, uh, and so th- that being the case, I don't, I don't think that the kind of universe I believe in and live in uh, allows for prayer. Um, I find that prayer uh, is a hopelessly uh, incompatible doctrine, not just with uh, what I understand as the laws of nature, but also inconsistent. Uh, when it's when it within itself, so that even Christians don't really understand the the doctrines of prayer. Now, in my in my blog, I uh, I present some things that I'm going to present to you right now 
And Dale uh, confused that in his response by, by thinking that I was saying, oh, these are doctrines that the Bible presents. And I think some of them are doctrines that the Bible presents, but that wasn't my point. My point is that these are common beliefs that Christians have uh, about prayer. And so different Christians uh, will give you these answers, and they're hopelessly conflicting. Uh, and so some of those are, we should ask God for things that we want and need. Or, you know, that same Christian or a different Christian at another time might say, no, we should not uh, impose on our friendship uh, with God by, by asking for things. Uh, another one of those conflicting doctrines is we should ask for things with the confidence that we have already received it. That's a biblical idea. Or... We should ask for things, but expect that you know at least one, uh, you know, two out of three of the answers we receive are either an outright no, or or not right now. So those those things are in conflict. Um, we need to have faith um, without even a grain of doubt for our prayers to be uh, considered. Is is one uh, doctrine commonly taught or? We only need a grain of faith, as small as a mustard seed, uh, for even the biggest requests to be granted. So th those things seem to be hopelessly in conflict. Um, uh, the last one I put down, we can, we can track and document the success of prayer. Christians are always going on about how their prayer uh, was answered. Or we can never uh, actually empirically uh, it tests whether prayers are answered or not, uh, which is something that Christians will say when prayer studies show prayer not to be that effective. So, I mean, we hear both things coming out of the mouths of Christians about prayer. I, it is not my uh, intention to try to decide which of these things is right. I am just saying that prayer as a doctrine is hopelessly conflicted. And whatever Dale says about these things today, someone very likely in the comments will say the very opposite thing <laughs> over the course of the week. And so it seems like no one uh, has a handle on prayer. Uh, I also go into why I think prayers should never work because at the end of the day, the doctrine of prayer that Christians present is really a doctrine of why prayer generically works, but why your specific prayer doesn't work. It's it's really about explaining away why prayer doesn't work when you can when you can look at it, uh, and I think that Christians have been so good at explaining that they really have created a scenario where no one should actually expect prayer to ever work. So here are some of the reasons why Christians um, will say that prayer, uh, you know, your prayer didn't work, so you didn't use the right formula. I come from a uh, denomination uh, in my, my early Christian years that had a very specific formula for how you make the incantation. Now, I, I call it an incantation. Obviously, they didn't. But prayer is clearly a formulaic type of speech. Otherwise, we wouldn't call it prayer. We would just say, well, you're just talking to God. But that is not, in fact, prayer. If we were, if we were saying, well, we're just talking to God, we'd say you're just talking to God. When we say prayer, we're talking about a very specific formula to talk to a very specific being. Uh, we don't 
you know, say that we're praying to each other. You know, I'm not praying to you. I'm just talking to you. Uh, and so there's there's a formula in, in certainly the idea that there's a formula uh, that, you know, separates prayer from other kinds of speech. Uh, in our denomination, we actually did have a, you know, a particular formula. There's no reason to go into all of the specifics, but that is one of the things that people will say. And since there is no consensus on exactly what that formula is supposed to be, then you can assume that you're always uh, having the wrong formula uh, because nobody knows what the formula is. So you can always say, well, you know, we got the formula wrong. Uh, another one of the reasons why your prayer should never be answered is because you always have a little doubt. It's impossible to pray with the kind of confidence uh, that Jesus says we should pray. It's just not possible and be mentally stable at the same time. The, the moment you pray a prayer and the answer comes back no, or you don't get any answer at all, then that means that your prayer may not be answered. You will, from that moment on, always have a kernel of doubt that your next prayer may not be answered. It is simply not possible to pray believing 100% that your prayer is going to be answered. So if people say, well, the poison pill is, you know, you had doubt in your prayer. Great. No prayer should ever be answered. Um, you had a selfish motivation. Everybody has a selfish motivation. I'm sorry. There's not a single uh, prayer that you can pray that doesn't have some kind of selfish motivation. Just think about the things that you pray for. Uh, you pray for safe travels, and you know if you, if if there's a ten car pileup that happens, and you, because you were a little late uh, later than your usual travel time, you just missed it. it. Happened in front of you. You you thank God for for saving you. That is extremely selfish. There are ten dead people. You just drove around. Um, as in, in you're praising God for answering your prayer. It's of course it's selfish. Uh, look at the people that you have concerns about. You're concerned about your grandma's eczema. You're concerned about your father's cancer. You're concerned about your kids' homework. Um, you're concerned about you know your country's government. These are all things that are you know somewhat selfish concerns. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with selfish concerns, but the Christian kind of says that. And so if if you're going to say, well, the poison pill that kept your prayer from being answered is that there was an element of selfishness in it, well, uh, you should never expect prayer to be answered. Um, uh, you should, uh, you, sh uh, you had some kind of unresolved grievance uh, with someone. So I didn't look this passage up. Um, maybe Dell uh, uh, will. I don't know. Um, but there's a passage in I want to say Matthew where um, uh, it says, you know, before you before you uh, go to God, that you need to go to your brother and resolve any you know, issue uh, that you have with him. And uh, I I find it unclear as to whether that brother is. You know, a, a brother in your congregation, a brother, in, uh, you know, who's a Christian somewhere in the world, uh, you know, or someone who is your neighbor, who is my neighbor, well, kind of everybody. So I don't, I'm, I'm not going to pretend I know who that's referring to, but if the idea is that you've, you've got some unresolved conflict with someone or that someone has an unresolved conflict with you, well, that's true all the time for everybody. So you can always throw that in uh, as a poison pill to why your prayer uh, didn't work. 
Um, I mentioned uh, my favorite one here. Uh, God does not interfere with free will. And so, you know, it, it doesn't seem um, like a good idea for you to pray for things where free will has to be intervened. Well, every prayer, you're, you're praying for some kind of intervention of either free will or the results of free will. So, uh, you know, if, if um, a child is spared from a, a person, is rescued from a, um, a uh, kidnapper and child molester bef before they're damaged, um, then the Christian would say, look, God uh, answered that prayer and saved that child. But if God does not uh, rescue that child, the same Christian says, well, God does not intervene in someone's free will, even a bad person. Uh, you know, th this is a fallen world. Uh, they chose to do the sin, and God does not uh, protect us from the uh, consequences of free choice, even when it's not our free choice, even when it's someone else's. So, I mean, if you're going to go with that answer, uh, everything that you pray for is, is the contravention of, of free will. You know, please, please uh, help me recover from the COPD that I got from smoking two packs a day every day since I was 16. Is is a prayer that God contravenes free will because you freely did that and these are the consequences of it. Uh, so prayer should never be answered on that basis. Uh, the last one I mentioned, uh, because you're not right with God uh, in some way, you know, you've got some kind of secret sin. And, uh, so yeah, with that, we're, we're done because nobody's right with God and everybody's got some kind of secret sin. And there's, there's no one righteous enough to approach the throne of God and ask for things, expect to get it. And so if, if this is going to be your poison pill, uh, there's no reason to ever pray. And you can take any one of those and say that, well, you know, prayer is ridiculous, but taking all of them together, I don't think that there's a human being on earth at any time in their life who could run that gauntlet and say a prayer that anyone should expect um, will uh, will be answered. So uh, at the end of the day, the only prayer that it makes sense to pray is thy will be done. This is a punt. You've just given up at this point and you should do what I did as a Christian and just stop praying. Because if all you're going to ask an omnipotent sovereign God that his will be done, then you just as well shut up. Because of course, an all-powerful sovereign God is going to bring about his will. Do you think his will will not be brought about if you don't ask him to bring about his will? That's utterly absurd. I don't even know why you're bothering to open your mouth or your mind to say such a prayer uh, if that's the only thing that prayer comes down to for you. Uh, I win, you lose. If that's If that's where prayer goes for you. Thy will be done. So, you know, we have nothing to talk about uh, at that point. So I have actually got another long list uh, of things to talk about here, but this is uh, kind of the summary of my blog and the overall summary of my uh, post. And as conversation goes on, I will get into the other list of things. I will cut it off there and allow my interlocutor to interlock. Okay, so the subject of prayer um, is not is is a topic that I'm sure some of the skeptics in the audience will be happy to hear is 
not something I have 100% all the answers on. It worked out uh, myself. This is this is a topic that um, you know I don't have all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted. Um, so you know I, I've even asked. I sent uh, David's blog to my pastor um, and asked, requested that he give sort of a, his take on it in our Sunday school class tomorrow. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how he responds and, and learning from that. Um, that said, um, prayer is something that is crucially important for the Christian. It, it's how we communicate to God and that sort of thing. Uh, it's commanded for us to do. Jesus gives us an example of, of how we should pray to our Heavenly Father and, and, and to God. Um, so it is something that's vitally important. We, we need to, to figure this out. How does prayer work or how do we uh, go about talking with God properly? Um, now that said though, um, the first thing David's, so David's not making a claim this week, but um, he is making a statement of belief that he thinks it's, it's impossible for skeptics and for Christians to come to a meeting of the minds. Um, so in the first place, I just wanted to ask you, David, um, let's assume that's true for a second. Uh, I don't think it is, but let's assume that is true. The Bible's verses about prayer are directed towards Christians, right? It, it's guidance for Christians, not for, it's not, they're not meant to provide a test uh, for skeptics to understand, okay, this is how I can falsify your God. So are you open to the fact that even if it's true that skeptics just can't understand, come to an understanding of prayer and how it works and, and use that as a falsification test, um, that's consistent with Christianity being true. That's what we would expect. It's, it, that's not the purpose of prayer. Uh, yeah, so despite the fact that I was somewhat prepared for this question, I still don't know how to answer it. I, I think that you can say that about every aspect of Christianity okay. that, that in, and so in that way it's a little bit of a dodge uh, because you can you can always say well you know the Bible wasn't written for non-believers so uh, you're not supposed to understand anything in the Bible the Bible was only written for believers but of course this assumes uh, that you know we're, we're dealing with a base body of believers that are just out there presuppositionally and that nobody is supposed to be convinced by the Bible. So I think that you're probably right that most of the writers of the Bible weren't trying to convince anybody. They were, they were talking to believers. And I think that by and large, that's what most Christians do today. It's you apologists that have the, the challenge of translating your self-talk to talk that uh, outsiders will understand. Uh, and so to the extent that you're going to use the Bible uh, or use the logic of your beliefs to do that, then they have to make sense to us. Okay. I, I think there could be a difference, though. And I, I think the Bible itself does make a distinction. For it, it does present the resurrection, the evidence for the resurrection, as a falsification test. And, and the Bible does speak to unbelievers in certain respects, right? It, it does, I mean, that's how people become Christians. They hear the, the word of God and understand it uh, on certain aspects. So I think there could be a, a differentiation um, 
Okay, well, look, there may be... I, I didn't stop to really... Sorry, yeah, I didn't... ...research this issue. Um, no, I'm, I, I'm not using this as an excuse, but I would say, by and large, it's not talking to unbelievers. Sure. So I can't, I can't, for instance, just off the top of my head, think about... Um, I can't come up with something in the Bible right now that was addressed to unbelievers. Gotcha. I mean, okay. even when Paul talks to unbelievers in Athens, he's talking to believers. They're just believers in another God. And he's and that is not being written to unbelievers. That is being written for the benefit and edification of an already existing church. Gotcha. Okay, per- perfect. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there as a, as a crucial thought experiment. And as you said, you're not prepared, so I'm not going to press that too hard. I think I just wanted to get that out there. Maybe you're right. But so what? Um, so well, I mean, so now, I, I just think you're trying to pull a blinder here. You think it's a, a trick of some sort, or no? I mean, it, you, I mean, it's just dropping a cha- a changer is all. But um, I mean, go ahead. It's all right. Okay. What does what does that mean? Dropping a changer? I have no idea. Okay. Dale, <laughs> okay. I listen. So, listen. Let me so change, last week, to... last week, I I dropped in the phrase taking the biscuit because mm. Sarah baited What's me it? with it and um, and nobody questioned it as if it made sense and so I, I take that as a successful use okay. but it, and so she challenged me with pull a blinder and okay. drop it change her and I, I, I think I could have gotten away with pull a blinder, but I, I got greedy and I tried to use them both in the in the same run and I blew it. <laughs> so you know you got blow it. it when you get called out for it. It oh, only shit. it only works if if you can get it past and people pretend to know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. I should have known it came so, from Sarah. I am so. sorry, Sarah. I um <laughs> Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so let me let me drop a changer. I, I think if it was changing the subject, that, that would be my guess. So so let me let me go with the tact now. <laughs> so I'm least, sorry. I think there can be there can be potentially a meeting of the minds. Maybe not with you particularly. You you've emphatically stated that you will have to have a lobotomy to to be able to claim it to understand it. But I think that the, it could become understandable to some skeptics. Um, it certainly did to me. There was a time when I was not a Christian, and now I, I was skeptical of prayer, the efficacy of prayer, and now I believe in it. So something happened for me to understand it and to to, to change my opinion there. So in the first step, I think that you're right. There's a huge chasm. Does God exist? Does a supernatural God exist? And does that allow for anything to be possible? So let's start with the first thing. It isn't that a potential bridge? If if I can prove to you that God exists, that that's a game changer, isn't it? What, wouldn't that be? And there are arguments. We did a show on natural theology. No, so, it, it, no is the answer to your question. Uh, so if you prove that a God exist, existed, mm-hmm. uh, that is not necessarily the same as an interventionist God. Okay. Uh, so there are a lot of people who have God beliefs, but don't believe in the kind of interventionist God that makes prayer and miracles possible. 
that's true. And the difference between a deist and a theist God. Okay. Um, would it, even if I could just prove a deist God though, wouldn't it, um, help in your understanding of, geez, this increases the plausibility that something like the theistic God could be true. I mean, no. if there is a, Oh, again, oh, okay. no. It, it, okay. the, the reason why, uh, once again, I'm not just trying to be you know, a stubborn atheist who won't believe in things even, you know, even with proper evidence. The answer is no, because a deistic God, I, I, I think I've said this before, <laughs> I don't actually have a problem with the notion of a deistic God. Uh, so uh, that's, not, um, that's not that far-fetched to me. Uh, so could be. Uh, you know, if if all you're saying is a first mover, because that's what a deistic god is to me, it doesn't even have to be a person. <laughs> so, uh, if you're if you're saying you know first mover that started creation, cool. Uh, I don't believe that. Uh, my my cosmological uh, idea of the universe doesn't account for that. But it, but I could be wrong, and it wouldn't matter. Uh, so I've I've said many times I might actually create universes every time I sneeze or fart. Um, that wouldn't mean that anything is possible. Uh, that that you know interventions of whatever those laws of nature that were set in the uh, motion could happen. So you would you would have to prove something rather more interesting than the first mover to get me to think that. The, the intervening of the laws of physics were possible. Gotcha. Okay, and so this, this gets into your position of naturalism, right? We, so in philosophy, we have what's called a, a principle of indifference. This is the default state of agnosticism, as I call it. Um, when, you, when you come out and say naturalism, there are limits or constraints on what types of things can occur. Um, so in, in the first place, do you do you have any positive arguments as to as to why you think that would be true? Um, like any positive warrant for it, or is it? Yeah, like how, do you have that? Well, I think it would be one of those logical laws uh, that we're dealing with at that point. We're we're down to the bare metal. Um, it it would be a, a contradiction to say that this is a law of nature but it can be law and not law okay so gotcha. it's it's either law of nature or it's not a law of nature but it can't we can't have laws of nature and no limits because the law by its very nature is a limiting factor Okay. Okay. Um, and believe it or not, if if that was the case, I would grant to you that yeah, that is a positive. So, if it violates the logical law of non-contradiction, right? You're you're that's positive warrant for you to say yeah, uh, only things that are physically possible, consistent with the laws of nature, are possible. Um, but here's where I would question that. How, I don't think you can say that the laws of nature are inviolable the, the laws of nature don't exist there, there isn't a law of gravity well but you out. think the laws of logic are inviolable i mean you I use you that. use that to talk about yeah. your other other worlds uh, uh, or other possible worlds theory is that you know it can't be something that's contradictory you can't say that in some other world there's a married bachelor uh so right. if the laws of logic that's are true. inviolable it it is not seem to be 
a, a difference to me to say the laws of nature are inviolable. It's a law. Right. Law by its very nature is inviolable. Otherwise, it's just a suggestion. Right. So, okay, so here's what. So, and then that gets to the fact that they're different or could be different, right? It, just because we put a slap a label on and say these are a law doesn't mean that they're logically necessary, right? So there, there's physical necessity. Yeah, we can be wrong just, about whether they're laws. If that's what you're saying, then I agree with that. Um, you know, we talk about the law of gravity. I think, I think it's probably, uh, probably technically we're still at theory, but I'm not sure. We, we, we talk about the law of gravity uh, all day, but we could be wrong about that law. But then again, we talk about the law of non-contradiction. We could be wrong about that too. Now, we have reason to believe that we're not wrong about either one of them. But if we're right about the fact that they're laws, then they can't be contradicted. Okay, so this is where we get into a description of what is the nature of these laws. Laws are not things. They, are not, they do not have causative powers, right? They are abstract descriptions Agreed. of reality. Okay, great, perfect. So in terms of logical laws of, not, of necessity, for, for me, they, these are grounded in a thing, God. God, is his essential nature is logically necessary, and he imposes the logical laws of, of uh, logic uh, on all the possible worlds. That isn't necessarily the case with the physical laws, which are just physical descriptions of the way matter behaves. And we certainly know that the physical laws are not necessary because we conceive of a world where God just exists alone. There is no physical reality. He could have, you've used this as, a, as an attack against Christianity. And again, I, I don't always want to go into possible worlds and that's, that sort of thing. But this is a, a key area that we agree that the laws of nature, the laws of nature are just descriptions of the way physical stuff behaves. Normally, it, there isn't a thing that you're violating if something different happens. It's just it just says, you know, it's a mathematical description that regularly matter. If you bump a billiard ball, it will go consistent with the laws of gravity. Or I, I, I would I would modify your definition a little bit. Um, it and also mention that you know the deeper we get into the sciences, the deeper uh, we get into something that I'm not qualified to talk about. But um, I, I would say that the law, the laws of nature, describe uh, how matter, uh, not just how it worked yesterday, but predicts how it will work tomorrow. In in other words, it defines a limit to how it does and should work. And if it ever stops working like that, then you were simply wrong about the law it's not that the law changed you were simply wrong about it um so we're getting yeah and, and this is deep philosophy of science stuff that i uh, i'm hoping to do a show on eventually and stuff like that so i'm trying to keep it broad level here but it's so it's interesting okay so i agree with you that the laws of nature allow us to make predictions of of the future behavior of these particles or matter, whatever is under investigation, so long as under the assumption that all else is equal. Uh, if all else isn't equal, something changes in the system as a whole, 
you know, such as an input or that sort of thing, um, or even within the laws of nature, you know, it's not, yeah, the laws of nature have to assume that all else is equal. And that's an assumption on your part um, that I think if you... I have no reason to not make that assumption. Well, sure, sure you do, right? Like, do you mean in terms of within the laws of nature, would you admit that there there are times when all else isn't equal? So we observe a certain thing uh, taking place, uh, you know, always on a macroscopic level, um, but then on the quantum level, oh, all else isn't equal at the subatomic level. So there are differences and we have to work that out scientifically and that sort of thing so that there are okay but that's just expanding our understanding about another realm though that does that is not to say that at the quantum level the the laws aren't consistent it's just to say that we don't understand them so uh if what you're saying is well you know at the quantum level then anything is possible then I'd, i'd say that you're wrong uh i would say at the quantum level there's too much that we don't understand right now, and when we do, we would uh, nature would be consistent there too. It's not like nature is only consistent in the places where we can see it and understand it, but not consistent in other places. We do science because we assume this consistency of nature, um, and so I don't, I don't think I buy where you're where you're headed here. Okay, and and good on you. Yeah, that is exactly where I'm going. Right, like you. You're basically saying these laws of nature are logically necessary. That there there is no such thing. Like if yeah, if they right, if they are laws, then right. they are necessary. Right. So and you have no proof of that. You're just asserting it, even though all of us can conceive of circumstances where the laws where matter just doesn't even exist. Um, it's sort of getting into our our discussion on the ontological argument uh, type thing. So. Yeah, essentially, if you're going to say that the laws of nature are logically necessary, if if because we regularly uh, see a particle moving right, it's impossible for that thing to move left, then then it's inviolable. But that's right. Well, I'm saying that if we are right, if we are right, uh, that that particle can only move right, then it cannot that cannot be suspended. To, to make way for something else in an, on an ad hoc basis. But why not? If 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 it moves left, right, we would recognize, okay, there's there's something more going on here. There's an insertion into the system or we need to redevelop our laws of nature. But you're not allowing God to insert supernatural events. You're saying nat- natural laws are all that can exist. And okay, but I, I don't believe in your God. So this is this is part of this whole um, worldview thing. I don't believe that there is something outside of our universe reaching into our universe and manipulating things. However, if I did take the fishbowl universe um, as a possibility, uh, and I don't mind doing that as just a thought experiment, it would still have to conform to the laws of nature. So whatever nature there is to the people outside of the fishbowl, they would still have to conform to their laws of nature. When they reach into our universe in our fishbowl, they have to conform to our laws of nature. Um, so, you know, they could, they, could, they could start a fire under our fishbowl and boil the water. 
that that may look like oh no the laws of nature have been violated well they haven't been violated actually there so i would i would say in that case there are things that are going on outside of our universe that we don't know but the the laws of nature are being conformed to no one snapped their fingers and suspended the laws of nature to make a thing happen though so even if you even if you propose the fishbowl universe b- both sides still have to in, in, adhere to the laws of nature otherwise they're they're not laws why do you say that though so it, it this is part of the assert and assume strategy that skeptics always use right like you you can't just assert that especially when you're dealing with a christian but for the purposes of this discussion so i i think that this is fertile ground for like a, a show i'm, I'm going to do a show probably next year uh, on this topic, we're, we're on... going to do a show in a couple of hours. <laughs> Hello, listeners. Sausage being made. No, no, made I, not on God. I'm, I'm talking about the plausibility of the supernatural. Right, uh, right, right. But I mean, some of this that we're talking about now is going to touch on our conversation with Tony Costa. Tony okay. Costa next week, or from our perspective, a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so for the audience, for because your point is that Christians and skeptics have to talk past each other. Yes. I think I've provided a potential avenue where at least some skeptics who, who are open-minded to truth and that sort of thing, we could crack that and, and whoa, come whoa, to whoa, open-minded. I mean, that's, you, just, you just went from a pleasant conversation to something very accusatory. Um, well, I didn't mean it. You should mean, assume that everybody listening is open to truth. Uh, and to, to slip that in kind of as a poison pill. I, I don't know why you would do that. See, okay, so I, I, I wish you would stop. You did this with Michael Brown too. Like, stop reading in like evil intentions. I'm very simplistic. I, I'm just saying that there there are some people on both sides that are closed-minded, probably in the audience. Not everyone is open-minded and and that sort of thing. It's hard to be real seekers. So I was just saying, like, for for people that are, are open-minded to truth, and I'm not assuming who is or who isn't. Um, okay, there's a potential okay. avenue here that if I could get, if I could somehow prove to you that there is this God in the fishbowl, um, God outside of the fishbowl, then you're open to certain level of, of events. And where we disagree is, well, can God create a fire within the water? And that's where we differ. So there's an area of recognition there that we can explore. And I'm going to do that. I want to press that in a, in a future show sometime where we look at that. Can God, assuming he exists, create a fire in the water? Um, so that's a potential avenue. That That's all I'm trying to say. Sure. That's you my... Can, you, can boil, you can put the fish bowl on a stove like a kettle and boil it. Um, I have no problem with that. But, but if you're saying, oh, no, he just spoke some words and magicked it. Uh, then I would have a problem with that. And that is the Christian claim. The Christian is not claiming uh, Star Trek's Q. Star Trek's Q is a natural being that can manipulate space, time, and matter. But he does it from more advanced science. So even though most of what he does looks like magic, they have had you know some explanation of this through the Star Trek series. So for, for, for those of you who are geeks, geek out with me a minute here. Uh, Q is not, in fact, just magicking things. Uh, he he is he is uh, a master of physics, 
And he has, you know, certain biology that allows him to make certain manipulations uh, directly. But it is not, in fact, magic. It's just science at a higher level. Um, and so if what you're saying is God is just a scientist at a higher level, we can have that conversation. But that is not the Christian claim about prayer and miracles. Okay. Um, that's correct. Um, it, it's a supernatural God who uses... And this gets into your third preliminary point, the issue of mechanism on a, uh, for the supernatural. So is this really your main um, objection against a supernatural answer to prayer and, and that sort of thing, that if, if you can't explain the mechanism by how it works, then it's in a scientific way, then it's just false? Um, I don't think I ever said... I don't think I ever said... Any mechanism you can't explain is false. That okay. so I, that's kind of a straw man that you put in your okay. uh, post. Straw man alert people. Um, okay. right. yeah, there right. there are lots of things that I can't explain uh, that are not false. I can't explain uh, exactly why it is my light comes on when I flip the switch. But I know when I flip the switch the light comes on. If it doesn't, I can change the bulb and then the light comes on. If it doesn't, I can flip the little uh, switch in the gray box and the light comes on. I don't, I can't explain all that. I'm not an electrician. I don't, I don't care. I have never given a tinker's damn why that happens with the flow of electrons and so forth. I mean, I, I don't know. I might can give a high school summary of it and, you know, pass a sixth grade test with you know, the giblets of knowledge I know about it. But honestly, I don't understand it enough to talk about it intelligently. So what? Um, it, it works. So I don't, I don't think I've ever said that if we don't understand the mechanism, then it must not be true. But I am saying that there has to be an understandable mechanism. So just because I don't understand the mechanism doesn't mean that the mechanism is not understandable. There has to actually be... Uh, a mechanism. You talk about cause, you know, for, for mm -hmm. something to happen, there has to be a cause. There has to be a series of causes, which is what uh, I would loosely call a mechanism, for prayer and miracles to work. Magic has to be physics at a higher level. But the Christian claim is that their prayer goes beyond physics. And so, you know, they're not even talking about mechanism. They're not thinking about what the higher level mechanism is because for them, there is no mechanism. It's just magic. It's like the six day creation. They don't care how God created the earth. He spoke it into existence and it happened. Part of the whole idea of that story is there was no mechanism. That is, mm, not, that, is a, that is, that uh, is, well, I think it is for a lot of people. I understand that different people take different things from this. Um, theistic evolutionists would say, no, okay, we acknowledge that there is a mechanism. Uh, but uh, I think most young earthers would say, well, no, there was no mechanism. God just magicked it. And there, there is a difference between uh, science at a higher level and magic. And I think that what Christians are mostly claiming with prayer, once again, not that God is cute and he's doing science at a higher level, but he's a magician doing magic without mechanisms. Right. Okay. So, so yeah, I, I don't see that. What basically what it's the story in Genesis uh, is getting at, and why it's so. And I'm going to do a show again in the new year on this once I'm done with the Trinity um, and the Incarnation series is the notion of creatio ex nihilo, God's creation out of nothing, and it's saying 
look, God doesn't have a material cause. This is what science requires material causes. But that's it's not saying it doesn't have a mechanism as though it doesn't have a cause and effect. God is said to be the efficient cause. Um, he's the final cause, um, but he's just not the material cause, whereas other religions but, will say but, God. But, 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 but he's creating material. There has to be a material cause. I know that's not the show no, today, but I mean, you can't. No, but it does. It's material. No, no. The, the universe is material. So, yes. so it, and it has to have a cause. Now, yes. you, you can't say that there's no, you know, no material antecedent, uh, because otherwise you're just saying, okay, then you're saying that it's material without a mechanism. No. To, you know, to say okay. that God is the mechanism is to say nothing. See, that's, okay. not, that's not okay. explaining a mechanism. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so I see where the disagreement with the meaning of the minds is. You are asserting and assuming as a skeptic that... If there's no material cause, that equals no mechanism. That's false. You're not allowed to assume that uh, unless you have a way to argue for it. So well, I think that if we're talking actually, about material, if there, I think there does have to be a material cause for material. Um, you know, if why, you're gonna why? if you're gonna say that something is non-material, then you know there would have to be maybe a non-material cause for that. I don't know. Um, no, well, that it doesn't have to be. Ex likewise, thing like. Likewise, things don't have to cause the exact same thing. It, there's spiritual effects can cause material. Uh, sorry, spiritual causes can potentially cause material effects. It doesn't have to be a material cause to cause a material effect. That's an assumption, and I address that in the cosmological argument um, that I posted. The couple, I think, Crispin Wright and. Um, that's their argument against, well, God couldn't be the cause of the universe because the cause of the universe has to be material. And since the universe encompasses all material, therefore, the universe can't have a cause. And that's a that's a mistaken notion, or at least that's an assumption that, great, we've pinpointed why we're not meeting up the mind. Correct. So my question to you is, how do you make, how do you equate that? How do you say that material cause equal no material cause equals no mechanism how do you know that it has to be a material cause to create a material effect and it couldn't be a different uh, well you've never just you i've never heard a christian actually just define what the different thing would be so i'm perfectly open to your suggestion that there's something non-physical causing it but now you've got to define what non-physical even is and what that could be and christians always at that point punt to god well, that God is not an answer. That's not an explanation for anything. That, that's not a cause. It's just a word. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, it's meaningless. It, it's an undefined word that's supposed to be the end of the argument, and it is not. And, and so if you're trying to convince a skeptic that there's some other causes out there, you've got to do better than God. Not if I could prove God, though, right? Am I? Yeah, no. Fine. Even if you okay. could prove God, even if I assumed God, I don't know what that means. God, what? God did blank, and blank caused matter. You see, if you right. say and God did no. nothing and nothing caused matter, creation ex nihilo, then you haven't explained anything. No, you've explained it, but you just don't. You haven't explained it on a mechanistic level just like you are totally ignorant of how the the light bulb i'm sorry god on, which, did nothing and nothing did matter is not an explanation 
What do you mean God did nothing? That, well, because, is, well, ex nihilo is nothing, from nothing. No, he created, so, so cre creation So he nothing. has to do something, there has to be something that he, some mechanism for God to have created this thing. And you're not describing a mechanism or even positing one. You're right. just saying, so, God, done. Right. Okay. Okay. Great. This is a thing that we can agree on because I, I am like you being totally ignorant of how the light bulb goes on, um, which I am too, by the way, I'm not an electrician either. I will admit, I don't understand pretty much next to nothing as to how supernatural mechanisms work on a mechanistic level. I can't describe to you how it works, but that that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. That doesn't falsify. Well, but it, it would have to. We would agree that that it would have to happen on some kind of mechanistic level. Yes, it, it can't be magic. You can't just say God, yeah. magic, universe. Yeah, there there has to be a cause. I, my only dispute: the doctrine of creatio ex nihilo disputes that there has to be a material cause. That's what it's going. Not that there ha can't be a mechanism or a cause. That's the mistake. We don't equate those two. Fine. I would like to see yeah, some. I would like to see some. Uh, you know, research or speculation on the mechanism, because even though I don't understand uh, how electricity works, I can hire an electrician. Um, you know, electricity is a, a known thing. Furthermore, if I gave a tinker's damn about how electricity worked, mm -hmm. I could spend a day on, with YouTube and some books and, and be fairly competent. Okay, but there, there are limits to our knowledge, even within modern science, right? Remember, remember you brave skeptics and atheists say, I'm so brave, I can say I don't know to how life began or how, how the universe sound? originated, right? <laughs> so, so that's, and that's cool. You are allowed to say that. Um, but that's what the Christian's doing here. We're, we're allowed to say, I don't know. God knows. I can I can hire God when I go to heaven. I'll ask him how. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not. Answer. I'm not really posing magical things and saying I don't know. You know the the things that I the Some things that things I believe sound pretty magical to me. I mean, oh, really? So the, I want to just slap a label on them. The thing uh, the things that I believe uh, strongly are things that are pretty well understood. The things that I don't know are things that aren't pretty well understood. Well, I mean, to other. People might understand them, but they're things that, you know, we believe can be understandable. I don't really have strong faith claims about things that can't be understood. And what you're talking about is some kind of mechanistic process that can't be understood. And therefore, you feel like you don't need to come up with an explanation for it. Because, okay, so yes, it's true that I believe that prayer works, right? But you, you also have strong knowledge that there you believe to have a strong faith that there's a natural explanation for the origin of life, even though you don't know Jack, Jack Nuggets about <laughs> how that came across, how that came about on a mechanistic level, right? Yes. So okay. you have overriding, um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You, you have overriding warrant for believing overall that naturalism is true. Therefore, you have strong faith that I don't know anything. I don't know what the heck. Is well, the origin okay, of but we can bring people on the show who can talk for hours and days about the mechanisms of uh, origins, or at least theories about the mechanisms of origins. You know, it's it's not just blindly shrugging the shoulders and saying, "I have no idea where to start here." Um, and and with God, it really is just a proposal mm -hmm. of God, magic, universe. 
We don't have to understand mechanisms. And so, frankly, I find it refreshing that you acknowledge that, you know, there must be some mechanisms in the process somewhere because most Christians don't. Yeah, yeah there, there has to be a, a cause. A me- we don't deny that there is a mechanism. Of course there is. It's just, what is it? I'm totally ignorant. I, I don't know how it works. Uh, how... I know that it works. I use it every day. I'm a spiritual, I'm a non-material cause for my body to be lifting its, the pen to write right now, right? I'm a soul, I believe, um, based on overriding arguments. I did a series so on that. I, I don't, I don't want to get into that because yeah, but I'm, but I'm just, I disagree. Uh, you are not a soul. You're a bag of flesh holding uh, a set of particles that, you know, we can, we can call a pin. Mm-hmm. Today, but I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't believe that you can actually prove more than that. But that's, I mean, that's fine. I understand you happen, have right? you have an idea, you have a a theory, um, and I would say that when it comes to naturalism, we have we have more than that going on. So I don't, okay. I don't, well, I don't I, think I, it's, I don't think it's quite this. analogous to say that. Well, you know, you you posit a soul, and that that's the same as us positing evolution it's it's not well the the two aren't opposites right remember i william hasker believes in an evolutionary model of of the soul but so the the point is here i think the audience that i'm wanting to see in terms of your main point there here is an avenue that we could potentially bridge a gap or or take away one of the things that makes it impossible for a skeptic to believe on this issue of mechanism so i I've heard no arguments from from David for naturalism. There there may be some that he just hasn't gotten around to doing that. We would have to consider that. Um, I've given arguments on a sh- on my shows on substance dualism that I think proves on a balance of probabilities that we do have a non physical component that stands in causal relations with our physical ones. You you guys can listen to the, those shows, see if you find the arguments convincing right. or not. And I'm not arguing substance dualism today. I am simply right. saying that someone who is naturalistic um, cannot make the leap to the type of universe you're describing where the laws aren't laws and can be changed and shifted ad hoc yeah, and, and but, for prayer to work it, that is what you would have to believe right but but they could potentially if they found my arguments convincing on that front that would take away this mechanistic objection at least okay uh, yeah so I, I think that that's I, I will I will grant you that if if you are willing to suspend the belief in um in in natural laws and in the limits they impose then you are a candidate for believing that prayer is legitimate perfect yeah i i I, but that's you know that's that's part of that's that's kind of almost a presuppositional thing that you've got to have in place and i would say that anybody for instance who believes in ghosts uh, is a candidate for a prayer. I mean, there are plenty of atheists who don't believe in God, but who believe in ghosts. Not all atheists are naturalists. Um, right. And so there are plenty of supernaturalist atheists out there. That mm-hmm. That's a good candidate pool for you evangelists to go after. Go for it. <laughs> right? But, but um, you guys, as long as it, you don't want to be dogmatically entrenched to a position of naturalism, which is a positive claim on the part of a skeptic, 
as to the nature of reality, right? Okay, um, but I, I don't I don't know have- if I would use the word dogmatic, but I don't know that it's wrong either. I am I am a naturalist, and I don't see any reason to believe anything else is possible. Otherwise, I mean, I don't see the point of nature at all. I mean, you're the, the, there are some philosophical barriers uh, to to get me off of this position uh, in onto yours. If 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 this God is manipulating things and holding things within his hand moment by moment, and in you know, I've heard Christians debate this on on both sides. Uh, you know, we are uh, is is it that the clock works? that keeps us going or is it God's will from moment to moment that keeps us going and about half and half what I hear are Christians saying well you know it's God's actual moment by moment will that keeps us going and the moment that he lets that go the whole thing falls apart mm-hmm. well if that's the case there is no nature what is na- nature is meaningless I don't even know why you would talk about nature it's just whatever God's whim is from moment to moment so it's it's either nature or it's God's magical whim, but it can't be both. Right. That very good. And and I don't like the way you phrase it because it's a biased thing. But well, yes. using your terminology, it, that's correct. God sustains the universe. It it is God's magic whim that is the universe. There, there aren't laws of nature that exist externally to God and are forcing the universe to exist. Right. Um, so so yeah, it's yeah, it is a, it is a difference, and it's one that I don't think that. You're going to get a lot of people to bridge. Uh, you're you're but, but on I, one I, side I, of that thing or the other, I think. Yeah, but the point is someone's... Remember what I'm, you're, I'm not what, even trying to get Christians to change their mind. I, I won't, So for, for those of you yelling at the phone right now saying, why don't you say this? or why don't you, I don't care. Yes, I'm, yes. I'm not trying to convert Dale. I'm not trying to convert any Christians. I'm trying to explain why it's, why it's nigh unto impossible to do so. <laughs> Yeah, and, and same here. I, I'm I'm not trying to convince you that God exists or the soul exists or something in this, or that naturalism is false. I'm just trying to get you. I'm addressing your your point with these preliminary issues that you raise. That it's just an unbridgeable um, gap between skeptics and Christians. That I, never I think that, I think you have to have a major worldview change in order to bridge that gap. So it's obviously not impossible yeah. some people change their worldview. But yeah. you cannot have a naturalistic worldview and believe that prayer is sensible. Okay. Those things uh, are not okay, compatible. So and and what about God, all of God's prayers, uh, answers to prayers, are done through natural mechanisms. Pretend there's no supernatural things that... You can't rule out that then, right? So that that's one of the things that would give you a mechanistic answer. So let's let's switch to that right now. Um, I mentioned I've got a a list of things here we haven't gotten to. Did I mention this is going to be a long podcast? Yeah, Um, I'm going in order up here. I'm getting to the Bible stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, so, you know, folks, take a moment. Go to the bathroom. (laughs) Okay, get a snack. Okay, and we're back. Um... Let's let's do what we were criticized for not doing a few episodes ago, and rightfully criticized, by the way. Let's define uh, our terms a little bit. So, what the heck is prayer? Uh, what do, what are we talking about here? Um, I'm going to take a stab at it. Uh, since this is my topic, I am speaking 
very specifically about one aspect of prayer. I am not suggesting that it is the only aspect of prayer. So if you have already started writing that post, delete. Okay, I, I get that prayer involves all kinds of things and supplication is just one of them. You know, there, there's praise and there's thanksgiving and there's um, uh, prayers for forgiveness. Um, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the prayers of just sucking up and being a sycophant and just, just telling God how great he is. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of aspects of prayer. There's, there's even the kind of rambling, one-sided conversation prayer. Hey, God, you know, I, I just got off of work and my boss was mean to me. And, uh, and the person cut in line for, in me at Starbucks, and that was, I, I didn't feel good about that. But there was this one lady with the blue hair and the, the you know what, that's, that's actually <laughs> a type of prayer too. I'm sure there's a name for it. All of that can be considered prayer. I don't give a damn about any of it. All right, that's not what we're talking about today. We are only addressing the prayers of supplication, which uh, simply boils down to asking God for stuff. Okay, uh, yeah, so um, on my end, I I agree with David. I, that was one of the points. So I didn't take that he was just focused only on one thing. I thought he was saying prayer in general. So I, I did want to make that point. There are different types of prayers. And if you're using it as a falsification test, maybe there are different success rates. Uh, you know, one could say, and I know David's counter to this, but one could say, hey, my prayers of Thanksgiving are 100% successful. I, I thank God he, he receives it um, or something like that. So I think we do need to be mindful. What type of prayer uh, are we evaluating? Are we critically analyzing it as David uh, put it? And he's made it clear he wants to focus on a specific type, prayers of supplication, getting stuff. Um, so, yeah, on that, I fully agree that the Bible teaches us to give prayers of supplication, to, to pray, um, you know, tell God our, our cares and our wants, our, our desires that we think are best for us and that sort of thing, and uh, come to him expecting an answer. He will answer and give us good gifts, as the Bible says. Um, so yeah, by, so that's let's, it, intro. let's walk through some of this. Um... I would, I would further say that Christians only pray for things. Remember what I'm talking about when I say pray. They pray for things because they think that they will get it as a result of the prayer, or they hope they will get it as a result of the prayer. But Christians are praying with some kind of expectation that, that by asking for a thing, it will make it likely they will get it. Uh, this requires a certain kind of mindset <laughs> that, once again, I think a lot of skeptics simply don't have. Um, you know, we can we can ask for things from other people, and um, you know, maybe we'll get it, maybe we won't. Um, but you know, suggesting that there's an expectation that we should get it is probably a little strong, depending on the circumstances, I guess. But Christians have a mindset of prayer that is that is kind of um, fan fantasy like 
uh, I'm going to ask or 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 make this uh, this uh, incantation to this spirit being, and the spirit being will do whatever it takes to move uh, matter, space, and time to give me the thing that I ask for. It's very much like a spell. I'm, I'm going to cast this spell and make this thing happen. And I, I think most of us simply don't think that way. It's it's not a it's not a reasonable way to think. What what say you to that accusation, Dale? Um. So I I think that look pr- when we pray, the Bible is clear that we should expect God to answer it as Christians. So I have a hundred percent no doubt that God answers my prayers as a true Christian um, with what's good. It's not necessarily an expectation I'll, I will get whatever I want. I don't think the Bible anywhere supports that. Um, and it, it's obvious. A lot of the verses in the Bible give certain qualifications. So this is David corresponding to David's section, why prayer should never work. Um, but you wouldn't pray for something if you didn't think that you could get it, right? Uh, well, yeah, sure. I, I think I could get it. But right. Okay. You know, I'm also open to the fact that the spell may not work, but you, but you think that it could it, work. Right. Right. I, I think I could. So I, when I pray for, I'm praying that I get a good mark on my midterm coming up this Monday, uh, which I have to study for in between our shows when I get a chance. But um, it's pot. It's it, that could happen. It, it has happened in the past. I've prayed for good good marks in my midterms, um, that I would, you know, my memory would be functioning properly when I'm remembering stuff, and I would get a great mark. And hey, I got hundred percent. So, on, so on does that tests. does that mean that you think? So this is uh, one of the things I have in here that you, if you hadn't prayed for that, now you did the same amount of studying, mm-hmm. but if you hadn't prayed your marks would not have been good. I can't prove uh, anything. And I, never I mind prove. Is that what you think? Is that, is that how you think about it? I don't know in that particular example. Um, I, I don't have positive warrant for claiming that God, that that came about as an answer to prayer. And I don't see how um, you can even use it as an example. Because there are other examples where I do have, where I do claim positive warning. Okay. For for example, my time on David Smalley's show, I've used that as an example, and I think I I do have warrant. Uh, it's I can't prove okay. it. But, but you. you think that if you hadn't prayed, you wouldn't have gone on Smalley's show, or that it wouldn't have gone what you the way it went. You, you think that yeah. the universe would have unfolded differently if you hadn't prayed? Oh, okay, yes. Um, so. So yes, on the simplistic okay. sense. So but that's that's all I'm saying with this point is that here, you have a, you have a cosmological model that suggests that you can uh, almost create an alternate universe by yes. doing nothing. The only variable being you did this incantation, and now the universe will be different. I didn't do an incantation. Well, I, I know that you don't like my you don't like my terminology, but I. I, I think, you know, the more we describe it, the more my terminology makes more sense than yours. You did a thing that affected the universe and created a different outcome, an alternate universe than what it would have been had you not prayed. Yeah, so so 
I, I don't like incantation. Prayer for me is essentially talking to God. That's what it is. No matter what you're doing, you're talking to God. But uh-huh. if yes, you're making alternate universes, I think listen, we can call it like incantation. Or you're not going to like it. But I changed my answer to the test thing. Everything. If I had not prayed for, we would be in an entirely alternate universe. So, so under Molinism, which I know you're not liking to to hear, but still, it's in a different sense. I've never used used it in this context of, of prayer. It applies to prayer as well. God, in with His middle knowledge, created our this world, actual world, knowing in advance what we would pray for so that our prayers are taking are a, a domino in the, the set are are a factor we literally would be living in a completely different world if i had not prayed for that test if i had not so so yeah I, I am not even going to polemicize over that further i'm, I'm just going to let it hang there because that is the point that i am making uh so very good. You know, yeah. don't don't beat a person up when they're when they're making your point for you. This is this is the kind of mindset you have to have to believe uh, prayer and why most of us can't make that leap. Let, let's look at the next uh, point. Though. Let me see if it's worth making. Um, where where are you? Are, are you on I'm, the sections or in the points? Yeah, I'm in the points. Uh, I'm going to skip the second bullet point because uh, we've covered it. Um, prayer is magic that no one understands so um i thought can i I just ask you one question because i think we missed over that but do do you acknowledge that the bible does obviously you do you you acknowledge here that the bible provides certain conditions for our expectations we're gonna get there okay so i'm I'm gonna I, i i i recognize the gentleman from uh ontario uh, and, 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 and squash his request. Uh, <laughs> watching our parliamentary uh, politics, haven't you? <laughs> so, so um, but yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Uh, so, okay. prayer is a prayer is what I say. Magic that no one understands. Yes, magic that no one understands. This is something that a lot of Christians don't think about, and. Probably a lot of skeptics don't think about it either, but I, I ask you to think about it. So it's a thing that you would admit is, you know, you may not use magic, uh, that word, but whatever word you substitute with, it's a thing that happens that uh, makes a nat- makes something different that would have not happened uh, if you hadn't done it. Uh, I just describe that as magic, but that's fine. The thing that I'm saying is that Christians don't seem to understand it. So it is a little bit like, having a spell book uh, or some ruins ruins, and um, having someone come across it and just kind of casting these spells willy-nilly. Uh, you know, they're trying to make a pot of soup and instead they make a storm um, because they don't understand the magic. Prayer is a lot like that too. In fact, when you listen to Christians describe it, it it's a lot like that. And so, you know, they pray, you know, there's this joke uh, that there's a man with a withered hand, uh, and he cries out to God, Lord, make my one hand like the other. And so he ends up with two withered hands. Um, that's a joke that plays out every day when Christians talk about prayer seriously. Oh, my, my, uh, father was in such pain. Uh, I pray that he has relief. Now he's dead. Um, 
so yeah, he got relief. God answered the prayer. Uh, fantastic. Uh, I prayed that uh, I have safe travels, you know, as we flew across the Bermuda Triangle. Well, the plane went, da- the plane went down and 399 people died, but I walked away. <laughs> um, <laughs> prayer answered, right? <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, I prayed that I get a promotion and I got fired. Oh, well, I guess that's God closing that door uh, so that I would find another open door. It's just, it's a kind of random magic that no one really understands. Uh, They don't know what to expect, but they're just kind of dabbling in it anyway. And that seems kind of dangerous and silly on the face of it. Um, Okay, so yeah, I I don't think I understand this objection totally. So you're saying that this is an objection that Christians can't explain. Like I admitted at the beginning of the show that I don't have all the T's crossed myself. Um, well, that, but you don't, my... you don't even know what you're getting though. You don't know, you know, you might have some vague idea of what you're asking for, okay. but what, what, like I say, you, you, you cast this incantation and you may have just killed somebody, um, you know, instead oh, of saving somebody, it, you have no idea sure. what, okay. what you're doing before you do it. And you don't know what to expect. Yeah, I, I think that's true, and that's that's one of the conditions, right? We we when we pray, we're we're talking to God, and that that's why we have this universal qualification about it being in accordance with His will, and we trust God that He will answer our prayers and give give what's good uh, as a response to that prayer. That might not take the form that we expect um you know i think it's good for me to get a a brand new jet car um or sorry a, a brand new, what the heck a brand new lamborghini or something um but god knows if i got a lamborghini i would be so thrilled i would go out and drive a thousand miles an hour and then run over some poor person or something so sure actually, but that's that's also i mean you could see it another way you know you're being bullied by someone at school and so you pray that god uh you know protect you from that and so a crazy person comes in with an uzi and shoots up a school and kills uh half a dozen people including your bully mm-hmm. praise be to god so, now yeah. that's that's not what you were asking for but i mean there you go must have been an answer to the prayer yeah, you, so, you have no so idea you, what powers you're you're dabbling in, and you know, just on a strictly, on a strictly uh, materialistic kind of level, you know, we would say, don't do that. <laughs> that's that's silly. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I hear you. Um, so there could be unintended consequences that, in isolation, look bad uh, as bad consequences. So it would have been better, you know, don't pray if that's going to be. A result of, of an answered prayer or something, but right. That, I mean, don't that, pray at least until you understand what you're mucking with. Well, see, well, that goes back to trust. I, I, there are no bad. That's if that happened, that would be good. God never answers prayer Ouch. in an immoral in an immoral way, right? Everything that happens is according to God's sovereign will, um, including those un, unintended uh, from my part as a Christian. And that, in isolation, they're not morally ideal. Uh, the killing of someone is is always, it's a bad thing. We we don't want this to happen. Um, but it's not immoral for people to die. They they do it all the time. God allows people to die and and that sort of thing, and and uses that 
he even allows immoral things to happen, right? Rapes are immoral, and he allows that to happen. Um, and that's all in accordance with his will. So when you're praying, you trust. Well, I trust you, God, to answer this prayer in a way that's not immoral, because you are morally perfect. So whatever happens, that's great. That That's not great. I, well, I don't know. That's you, you've just provided the greatest manifesto for why a skeptic would never change their mind about prayer at this point. I mean, you did a better job than I could have ever done. Thank you so much. This is why I love you so much. Um, okay, yeah. I think it's important. And, and I, I can just see picture Darren. Darren, this is why your religion is Republican. It's coming. And all this, right? Yes. And I, he, I get how it looks. Um, but this is an important aspect of prayer that you got to be honest about it. Remember, who we're praying to is God. And it's essentially... I mean, so, sometimes God solves your barking dog problem by killing the dog. Praise be to God. <laughs> you know? Well, it's, it's not like... I don't believe God zaps the dog and kills the dog, right? But it's... it's Everything that happens is part of his will, is part of his providential plan, right? That That's a acceptable Christian position, right? Yeah, you, you would agree with that with that. I, don't, right? I, don't know. I think there are a lot of things that are acceptable Christian positions that I find kind of gross. But um, yeah, so I, I would say that that point is is made on both sides, and um, we can we can pick that up in the comments. Um, how about the next bullet point? Um, so this this gets into a little bit of the theology. Um, it is not clear why uh, multiple prayers from multiple people are necessary. Uh, so how many people need to pray and for how long before God uh, does what is requested? This, this one always bothered me. These, um, you know, prayer circles, or these prayer vigils, um, you know, all, all churches participate in something like that from time to time. You know, we're going to we're going to gather everybody and we're going to. You know, we're going to go to this place because it's, it's you know, one location. Everybody praying to get the same location as if location mattered. Um, it, we're going to pray at this particular thing uh, all together, all at the same time. And then, you know, they might arrange 24-hour vigils. I remember one church that I um, uh, lived uh, right across the street from. They did, um, they were fond of these um 24-hour visuals and week-long visuals and, you know, because they're a big megachurch. They just have people there praying all the time, taking shifts. Um, this always seemed very strange to me, uh, you know, juxtaposed to one person praying humbly in their closet. And it's like, well, why would that, you know, which is it? You know, one person praying humbly in their closet or this prayer visual, which if you know if the prayer visual is more effective why well how, how about it's both and that's the way i would see it i mean there's, there's nothing wrong with communal prayer it that is good it's good to for the purposes of fellowship and also of hearing the congregation come together and and be of one mind on a well but is it more paper. effective i'm i'm not actually interested in the psychological benefits of groupthink I'm I'm interested in the effects of prayer in that as a doctrine for how prayer works. In terms of getting the prayer answered, is the yes. supple, supple, okay, not as opposed to communing with God. 
Um, I think it would be. I, I do think that the more people that pray for why something that. I mean, just explain that to me. Explain why more people praying for something would make a difference. If, so if I understand says, what prayer is supposed to be and that God gives good things to his children who ask and so forth, why do you need two children asking for the good things since God would give it if one ch- child asked? Because God has set up prayer in his Molinism. He, through Molinism, he's set up in advance that prayer is causally efficacious when one person does it. Therefore, if you have multiple one persons doing it, and they happen to be together, that would play more into his providential plan. He he has set up the system in advance. That's so prayer. prayer is like metachlorians, and the more metachlorians you put together, then the more powerful the force. Uh, really? No. It's, okay. It's I don't. Then I don't understand. Then, if prayer is effective when one person does it right, what the hell does it matter if ten people do it? Because it's more than one person. But it's what one person. I don't understand that. If one person is effective, then what is what is more effective even mean? Okay. Um, in terms of the result, right? Well, that's what we mean by effective, I think. So, I mean, how, how is the result different if two people pray as opposed to one person? So I'm, I'm looking at this from a <clears throat> Molinism perspective, right? Before God creates anything, but that's the wrong way to say it, but without creation, God exists alone and in his Molinism, he knows, okay, this guy prays, we're going to create this world. These multiple people pray. If, if the multiple people didn't pray, it would be an entirely different world in which the result may not have obtained or wouldn't have obtained in the same degree. So it's all part of God's plan that multiple people are going to pray. They're going to get this result. Uh, it's all going to unfold according to my my providence. Um, that's that's the way I would uh, answer. Okay, that. so you're you're sounds like you're kind of saying. Uh, one prayer ain't enough. Um, if what you want is something big, uh, no. you gotta. I, I don't. I don't. Get, now, I didn't have mountain moving in my notes here, but mountain moving. You know, the the big thing that you ask for. Jesus didn't say get a group of faithful people together and pray for a month to move mountains. Um. And so I don't understand what you're talking about, that you would need more than one person to to create a better result. Right. So so I'm not saying that. You, you've read that in. I'm, I'm saying to get God from the beginning, the foundation of the world, uh, that's a biblical term, knew that to get the, res- the overall results of everything that he wants, to unfurl... In certain cases, one person praying is enough. In this case, communal prayer is what's the order of okay, the day. Okay, so that there's, the there's, there's like a different set of things that is in God's book of, you know, prayer magic somehow. You know, if you want a new car, you need 10 people praying. But if you want a cure from your, uh, you know, 72-hour cold, one person would be sufficient. No, so... Maybe it's dependent on, on the circumstances, right? So maybe in those circumstances, 
the communal prayer is what gives the result. Just like my eating a cookie I get today as opposed to, I don't know, porridge or something like that for breakfast. That plays a role in God's Molinistic plan. Everything that happens is necessary to arrive at the end result. So in certain circumstances, the communal prayer for the car, if you want to say that, um, is good. But in other circumstances, an individual praying for the car is enough, and God will grant that. Okay. Well, that, that sounds very arbitrary, capricious even. Um, you know, God answers his prayer with one person praying because it suits him, but here's this other prayer that's for something even more important, and you've got a thousand people praying for a year, and God decides, eh, it's not quite enough. You need a thousand and one. It doesn't work. It's not like that, though. It does, you're taking it again. You're you're being capricious in in how you care. Well, I'm I'm asking you. I'm trying to figure out why we would ever need more than one person praying for a thing. Because the Bible tells us that people, Christians, coming together and praying is a good thing. There are good things that come about as a result okay. of that. And so God withholds certain of the results uh, of His magic based on the number of so there's a formula so either there's a formula then it's capricious (laughs) so yeah there's either a formula or there's not a formula and if there's not a formula it's just god's whim uh i don't i don't understand uh not whim ah okay from the foundation of the world yeah yeah his will whim um in in um not not dissimilar uh, to that question or observation. Um, the, the why would well here you can you can you can fold this one in there. Why okay. would one Christian ever need to pray for another Christian? Uh, what what does the one have that the other doesn't? And I figure your question will be your answer will be the same. But I thought I would yes. put this out here for people uh, who have you know spent a little time maybe thinking about this or haven't. Uh, spent some time thinking about this. I know that I did when I was a Christian. I would. There was a time when I felt, oh, that's nice. They're, they've offered to pray for me. You know, I'm, I'm obviously visually impaired, and this person's going to pray for me. Thank you, person. That's what a sweet heart you have. And but you think about it just a just a tiny bit. Do they think I have never prayed for this? <laughs> Do they honestly believe? That I never been on my knees about any of this, but they are going to somehow come along and say the prayer that fixes it. Now, my prayer, screw me. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a sinner. I've got something wrong with me. They're going to fix it, though, because their relationship with God is so good. They're going to say this prayer. Why? What? Why would any Christian ever need to pray for another Christian? If we could talk to God by ourselves and go to him ourselves as, as uh, you know, his kids and he's our father and he wants to give us good things, why do I need my brother to go and ask God to give me something good? What does he have that I don't have? Gotcha. Yeah, so you're right. It's the same the same answer. I, I, I liked your communal question uh, the best. I think that that's one that I'm not that I need to think about uh, the most. And I haven't, as I said, I haven't worked out all the details. So I like, I liked that, what is the difference kind of thing. Outside of a Molinistic thing, what what is the efficacious difference? And I don't know the answer totally on that. Um, but 
again, I think that your overall purpose here, you're trying to create a one-size-fits-all formula for prayer as a falsification test, and prayer is not meant to do that. That's not what we're trying, that's not the purpose of prayer. It's, it's not set up as a falsification or verification test. Um, well, okay, but these, the these, are, these are the types of things that skeptics think about, though. When you talk about prayer and you're trying to convince us that this makes sense, even before you get to any kind of evidence, philosophically, this doesn't make any sense. And if we know something about theology, which uh, most of us around skeptics and seekers and the unbelievable boards do, it still doesn't make sense. So, you know, these, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think see. these are pretty, pretty basic questions to be asked uh, if you're trying to get us to take this thing seriously. Well, I, I don't think it, it doesn't prove like I said, you, you're trying to set up a falsification test. That's how you would prove, oh, prayer is false. Or at least to make the whole enterprise existing. make sense. So it you can say, you can say that's falsification. That's not really uh, what I have in mind. But it does have to be sensible. It has to be coherent. And what I'm what I am saying is these things make the the idea of prayer incoherent. But it is logically coherent. There's no contradiction that you've spelled out or proven is the case because multiple people pray or that one Christian prays for another as though that countermands the other Christian is able to pray or something. That would just be the same thing, right? There's two Christians praying for the same thing. There's, well, yeah, there is no I would, yeah, but I would say that that doesn't make any sense um, with other things the Bible says about prayer. So, uh, yeah, I mean, these are things that Christians talk about all the time, but it doesn't make sense of the material that we're supposed to be believing. But it makes sense in another sense. So like you just dismiss the communal or fellowship aspects that that's probably the reason why he says we need, we get together. That's always been what I thought was the main point. It's not all from the standpoint of results. Okay. How many, how many player prayers do we need to get a, a new car or, or a new church building or something like that and okay we hit the jackpot because we got 10 people in our prayer meeting this week uh that's that's not what the notion of well no that's not and that's not entirely true either though because there's the place in uh i want to say matthew where it says where two or three gathered together in my name there i am in the midst of them so you do have a kind of numeric test uh if you will there uh, that's based on witnesses, right? That's a court analogy based on the Jewish thing that you need two or three witnesses to come together. So that that isn't that has nothing to do with prayer anyways, even if even on your. Well, it, I think it does have to do with worship, uh, because one of the at least one of the ways that that passage is used is to say, well, so there's no such thing as, you know, you can just avoid church and you know, do church by yourself. Um, the, the presence of God requires uh, two or three. Um, so there's a minimum number to make the magic work. Yeah, so I, I would just say that's the popular interpretation that I shared myself. I thought I was using that against going to church. It's like, oh, uh, as long as there's two or three gathered, we're doing church. It doesn't matter where we are. But there is a legal implication that... You know, unless you, unless you study biblical scholarship to understand what that verse 
is talking about or, or understand the culture at least right you don't need to be a scholar or anything like that but there's more to that verse than what you're saying so and i forgot what the answer was to that but i remember it's something to do with the fact that there are two or three witnesses to convict someone in a, in a jewish court in the okay but that's frame. so i think you're i think you are conflating two different passages um and that's, okay. that's just a Bible knowledge thing. So you are correct that there is a place where it talks about church discipline, for instance, and you you can't bring a charge, uh, you know, unless unless there, you know, two witnesses and that that sort of thing. And so there is there is a judicial element of that as well. But the place where I'm talking about um, is more generic, where you know two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So th- this is a a separate thing having to do with worship and I you know I'm just saying that's you know sometimes the Bible is speaking you need this number to to make the spell work to be considered yeah it, so I, I believe it or not I am talking about the verse that that you are but I'll, I'll look into it because I, I don't remember offhand uh, exactly what the answer was but I'll double check tomorrow um, sure. And I mean, but it, I mean, look. I, so I'm not trying to nail you on something that we haven't talked about and haven't looked at. But I'm I'm just saying this. When you take all of this into account, I'm I'm not just talking about, you know, whether you have an airtight explanation for everything. I'm saying that a lot of this is just inconsistent, hopelessly inconsistent, even within um, the the Christ, the doctrine itself. The, the theology doesn't make sense. When you look at it closely, it, look before we get uh, too far down the road. I, we did mention yeah. this a long podcast. Um, I do want to. I do, do just want to touch on the other bullet points, and I know that you want to talk about. Um, oh, could you just spell out what what is the contradiction? The, let's pretend. Forget about the other. Inter- the Bible verse says to do worship. You have two or three or more people gathered in my name. Um, okay, how does that? What does that contradict? Um, there's nothing. Like, what is that contradicting? Uh, honestly, I don't remember what we were talking about five minutes ago that brought that up. But I I think that I was saying, um, why why couldn't... Uh, we were talking about one person praying. Um, versus a communal. Versus, versus yeah. a communal thing. And you were saying um, the, you know, the, the reason for prayer... It, you know, joint prayer is more about community than about making things happen. Um, and I was saying, yeah, and I said, well, but at least in this one case, uh, community is not just about being together. It's not just about community. It's about Jesus won't be with you in the same way if you don't have a community. Okay. Okay. So your your interpretation of why you come together in community is not doesn't quite jibe with that. It's not a major point. Um, so um, sorry for taking up too much time uh, with it. But it's I mean, look, this is this is a this is a mess. Uh, I think my points still hold that it doesn't actually make sense that you need you know a thousand people praying for a month. Uh, to do a thing if God uh, hears the, you know, your prayers as, you know, your father and your his child, and you can approach him confidently and ask for good things and have the confidence that he'll give it. 
um, that seems to be in contradiction that somehow you've got to bring the whole family and beg this guy for a long time before he decides to do a good thing for you. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So my thing is that key verse, I, I would just for the audience, I'll let you move on to the next point. But my thing is that you need to do it. I deny that you need to do it. No, it, it could work. One person does it and it can work if, uh, multiple people do pray for a month, uh, for something. It's, it's, it's all within God's sovereignty. Right. So if I wanted to break that apart a little bit more, I would say, why would you ever need to pray for a month? Um, you know, what, what, you know, what, what, why is the time frame seem to vary? You know, you, you pray for a thing that needs to be done kind of right away and you get an answer a month from now. And then other times you pray for something and then it happens right away. And, you know, in both cases, person would say, you see, my prayer was answered. Um, this is, this is a thing without an understandable formula. And I don't, so we'll get to that. So here, two bullet points real quick. Um, does God grant non-essential requests or not? Um, non-essential requests. So think sports victories, parking spaces, better job, new car, etc. Um, you know, does he give you crap just because you want it? Now, if we if we um, talk about actual fathers and children, uh, dads give their kids uh, stuff all the time. Oh, did you want that uh, Power Ranger, um, you know, playset, whatever, uh, that cost uh, $150? Okay, well, I've got $150. Uh, sure, we can do that. Fathers, fathers delight in doing that sort of stuff. Uh, I mean, they do it every time, but they do it. They do it a lot, and you know, when they have a lot of money, they do it more often. So, um, the fact of the matter is, I don't see anything about the doctrine of prayer that would prohibit someone from just asking for stuff they want. Um, they don't have to have some kind of um, PowerPoint worth of, you know, these are these are the reason why I need it. I, I want it because I like it and it makes me happy. Does, does that kind of prayer get answered or not in your doctrine of prayer? Because I hear Christians all over the map with this. Some say, yes, God does this. Some say, no, God doesn't do this. This is not what prayer is for. Uh, and just to kind of follow up with whatever answer you say, one, either you're wrong or millions of people are wrong. Because every time there's a sporting event, especially a major one, athletes are always thanking God for their victory because they prayed for this victory. Damn it. (laughs) And God gave it to them. Now, this implies somehow that the other team, no one over there prayed (laughs) or or their prayer wasn't as good. I hear people talking all the time about how God gave them the parking space that they prayed for. They were driving around and they prayed for this parking space and it came open. Um, you know, they prayed for this job and, you know, the reason they're doing so well at work is because God uh, blessed them. He answered their prayers. Uh, you know, they, they pray the right way, whatever. So if you say God doesn't work this way, I will just point you to the millions of people who say otherwise. And I would say that one of you is wrong and I don't know how to prove which of you it is. I'm just curious as to which way you go with it. Sure. So, so in the first place, simplistic answer, yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong. And you're probably surprised about this. There's nothing wrong with um, pr- 
praying for your wants. God tells me, come to me, tell me your cares, because I care about you. Uh, that's in First Peter, I believe. Um, so, yeah, even praying about seemingly trivial things, like, you know, winning a football game. You're, God wants you to do that. If that's something that's important to you, talk to God. Okay, so your bonus, God. bonus question. Will God uh, manipulate the outcome uh, of the football game for you to... <laughs> get it or are you just wasting your breath you're never wasting your breath uh (laughs) every prayer is effective is causally is is um efficacious god listens to all of our prayers um so you're saying the game might turn out differently if you didn't pray yes it would right (laughs) it sounds like cheating (laughs) everything would turn out differently if if they people didn't pray or something if i ate a cookie or yeah. versus uh bag of doritos hey, hey, hey Dale, just real quick pray uh pray that uh alabama wins the national championship this year um but god remember <laughs> the other part before you interrupted me is that god answers um all christians prayers right remember the, these well, that's why i'm asking you <laughs> right. So it's talking about it answers true Christians' prayers. It's not everyone's prayers, right? Yeah. So but you're, you're a true Christian, right? Right. Roll so if tide. I, if I gave a tinker's darn about <laughs> football, um, I might pray like, oh, please let whoever But just do it. Just do it for your old buddy Dave. Uh, <laughs> well, you told me never to pray for you. so. But you're uh, not praying for me. You're praying anyways, for the tide. The, the, but the point is... <laughs> When you say non-essential, I could I could agree with the person that God doesn't grant non-essential requests in the sense that by essential it's it's essential for in terms of God's overall providential plan. I see. So you've gone and had it both ways. God only gives God only gives good gifts, right? He so in other words, he only gives you the stuff that he was going to give you anyway. So what's the point? Uh, I I would just say what's the point. Because in order in order to get that, he wasn't going to give it to you anyway. Your prayer was, uh, if you picture like a series of dominoes, you praying is one of the dominoes. If you take out that domino, then it's just going to fall to a certain extent and then maybe fall on a different path. That, that row of dominoes isn't going to go. Okay, but it's not because you wanted that thing. He put the desire in your heart to want that thing, so you prayed and he uh, gave you what he was going to always do from the beginning of the time anyway. Right. That's, that's it's, very it's Calvinistic. Trivial. And it's trivial. And it, it's, I mean, that just kind of denudes any meaning to prayer uh, to me at all. I mean that's just God. That's just God manipulating the world uh, like a big playset to make things happen that He wants to happen. And and your prayer is just one of the things He's manipulating. It's so again the manipulation word is wrong, but yeah, that that's why I believe in a strong view of God's sovereignty. Yeah. Right. That's how so, that's how it works. Um, all right. So at the end of the day, the only prayer that you um, really pray is "Thy will be done." Um, that's that's the only prayer you think you're ever praying when you have that view. And so once again, it's kind of useless. And I don't see the results. I don't, I don't see why any skeptic would ever take that seriously. Hey, my last point though. Okay, so Dale, uh, my last bullet point. Tell me 
how a person is supposed to know, or is there a way for a person to know for sure that a prayer was answered by God rather than it just came to pass by natural causes? Okay, so yes, there is. There there are various ways that one could come, as a Christian, could come to know. And, and this, is a, this is different than asking the question, can I objectively prove to you as a skeptic, right? We're asking, can a Christian know that for themselves, whether God is answering their prayer in a particular instance versus a naturalistic, uh, just a random natural event or something like that, that would have happened anyways. And so in the first place, there's, there's number one, the properly based belief, the, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. This is how I came to knowledge about my example with David Smalley. Um, I believe that was an answer to prayer, what happened there. Um, there's also indirect. Uh, so yeah, I mentioned there, there's also indirectly uh, because I can prove either objectively or whatever that Christianity is true and that the Bible is sufficiently attached to the truth of that religion, and the Bible tells me that God answers prayers. Therefore, I have warrant in saying, yeah, God God answers prayers versus just a naturalistic happenstance in certain cases uh, when a Christian prays for something, a true Christian prays for something. Um, the other way uh, that's really a topic for a, a different show um, is uh, directly. We can uh, get perhaps a be warranted in saying that there's a supernatural healing that takes place or a supernatural event. There are nature miracles um, that someone could hypothetically use as a a way to know that God is in fact answering prayer and it's not just a, a chance naturalistic event. Um, so those are the three avenues that I could think of where a Christian could know that God is answering prayer. Okay, so I just want to point out that neither one of those avenues except maybe the last one in history tells us that the last one couldn't happen either, um, are ways that a non-believer can look at your claim that a prayer was answered and agree with you. These are, these are all very much worldview uh, distinctions separated by a great gulf. I cannot get inside of your peanut butter and bacon sandwich, your, your PBB. Um, so that doesn't make any sense to me. That does not uh, ring as evidence to me. Um, as far as miracle claims go, um, you know, we've, we've tried to look at miracle claims throughout the centuries and we, uh, keep finding things that are non-conclusive, um, at best. And so once again, if you're saying, oh no, I can prove that, you know, this miracle, this thing was a miracle this is a direct response to prayer. I would say that uh, you will have managed something that no one else has been able to prove in thousands of years uh, of trying. So I'm going to come, I'm going to walk away from your answers with no, there isn't any way for you to actually uh, prove that a thing is an answered prayer by God versus a naturally occurring event. I would further say, obscuring it, even if you wanted to object to that, um, you believe in this idea of concurrence uh, or coincidental action. And so you you could always argue, uh, like you do with uh, uh, soul dual, dualism, um, you could always argue that 
Mm, yes, that thing could be explained by mundane causes, but that doesn't mean that God also wasn't working a miracle at the same time. A, a supernatural miracle? Um, I, I think that does require, unless God is using supernatural agents or something to accomplish his, his will, like that, that that wouldn't go along with concurrence or, or like naturalistic coincidence or something, right? Like that would still be a way to tell the difference if it, I get that. And I get that you're saying that to you, the evidence is unpersuasive. So you, you, you totally bypassed the second way of knowing, but it would be the same thing there, right? Like I would point to the shroud or the resurrection and that proves Christianity is true. So you would say that's unpersuasive, but right, that is a way it, of- Because none of that proves Christianity is true to us. So you would already have to have the worldview that Christianity is true for that to, to work as proof for you. Right. So, so is your question, your question, is there a way of knowing? It's not for, is there a way of knowing for the Christian? It, it's, is there a way of knowing for the skeptic? That I, someone... I, I guess, uh, but okay. I, would, I would argue that even the Christian can't know. That, they're, that the ways that they are saying they know are just uh, products of their worldview and are not products of reality. So your, your properly basic belief, you might feel like that's God communicating with you some way, but I say that, you know, that's just you eating too many peanut butter and bacon sandwiches. I don't care how you feel, that is not actually God communicating with you in any way. You, I, I don't know that that's God uh, communicating with you, and you don't either. Uh, and a properly basic belief is not, is, is not warrant to say that, well, yes, clearly this is God answering prayer. Right. So that's just an assert and assume strategy on the part of skeptics, right? And, just and like a properly basic belief is an assert and assume strategy for the Christian. What is it? Not, not for me. I, I'm the one claiming to have knowledge. I know if I know or not, right? <laughs> no. And, and I was like, you don't know if you know. That's a subjective evidence. Okay, but yes, I do. You can, you don't have the right to tell me I don't know. And you've admitted this in our very first show. Um, sure, so, I don't have a right to but, tell you about the experiences that you feel, your particular qualia about a thing. What I have a right to do, though, is question your interpretation of that. So, so you you would you, claim you, to know you feel that I, you know, and I and I and I don't question. It's just that. a feeling. Okay, so you it's but you, you claim but to your know knowledge that it's isn't just, that it's from God. You can't your feeling can't tell you that. How do you know it's just a feeling? This is incredible. I I, I thought you never questioned this. Like go back and listen to our very first show um, where David says he he can't do this. So now, okay, if if you've change that how, how do you prove that i'm just having a feeling and not actually having the inner witness of the holy spirit tell me the truth of something well i think i've always said i i don't challenge your uh experience of a thing it's not your experience that i'm challenging it's your interpretation that i challenge or at least that i don't that i am not uh, obliged to accept so assuming that you're right. not lying lot, to yeah. me I, I believe that you have the experience that you describe. But that just because you describe having the experience uh, of traveled, uh, traveling to the third heaven and, and you know, having sushi with the angels doesn't mean that I think that's what happened. But there's no, this is direct knowledge that we're talking about in terms of a properly basic belief. 
So it's it's. Well, Paul had a properly basic belief about his trip to the third heaven too. I I think that Paul was tripping on shrooms. Did he have a properly? He never, it doesn't tell us that he had a properly basic belief. It seems like he experienced. He was basing that on derivative knowledge, right? He he had either a dream or was actually caught up. He wasn't sure which one it was, but he was relying on sense data um, and or a dream. And then he was inferring, I was experiencing this third heaven. So that was derivative knowledge. Uh, And of course, that can be false. It depends on what you derive that knowledge from, if it has a proper foundation or not. I I fear that we have fallen in a hole. And I, yeah, let's let's okay. get out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I don't I don't want to be buried in the properly basic belief hole. That's that is not going to work for me. <laughs> so. Well, the the other two they they do work as potential if they're persuasive, right? And we're going to do a show on on the third way the, on miracles. Yes. Uh, and I I've done shows on the shroud. I'm planning in the new year uh, to do to do some shows on the resurrection because my goodness, a Christian show, and we've never gone over the evidence in a, in terms of me presenting, like, my topic. Right, but when you, when you say Christianity is true, therefore God answers prayers, it can only be a generic statement that cannot tell you whether a specific event is the specific answer to a specific prayer. Uh, so I still think that you're reasoning from the generic to the specific in a way that the... Uh, evidence doesn't allow okay I take that point Um, although we could identify specifics in the Bible right like Peter's answer to a prayer sure we can we can parse the literature and say this is what this story said but we can't apply that to an actual event in real life and say with 100% certainty this is what was going on yeah, I think that's yeah, that's right. Uh, unless there are guidelines for identifying, which we we found out in the Bible, like when something's an answer to prayer or not. So as, why don't why don't we move to that? Has, why don't, don't we move to that section uh, and conclude there? Uh, what what does the Bible say about what we should expect as far as prayers being answered? You think that the Bible has some things that gives us some expectations about answered prayers? I think it has things to say about giving us expectation about unanswered prayers. In fact, uh, if I think my neat thesis is more correct. You should never expect a prayer to be answered. So um, why do you think I'm wrong about that? Right. So, so in the first place, because I don't think that we have um, a set of formal criteria for falsification. I remember saying that. So I actually think atheists can sometimes get a prayer answered. You know, it's hypocritical on their part or something like that. But God is perfectly free to answer prayers that don't match a certain formula. Um, However, the Bible does give true Christians um, a sense of qualifications on their prayers being answered and that sort of thing. So there are times, uh, you know, everything has to be according to God's will. That is a universal qualification. It's mentioned in First Pete, the epistles to Peter, First John. Um, these are, yeah, of course, we would expect that everything that we pray for in terms of prayers of supplication would come with the qualification that it is in accordance with God's will. So that God answers only the prayers he wants to answer. 
is what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah, wants. It's not arbitrary wants, though, right? It's in accordance with his essential nature. His will is in accordance with his essential okay, nature. Okay, so he's going to answer only the prayers that he's going to answer. I don't care how you formulate yes. it. It's, yes. it's not that he's answering prayers that we pray because we want them and need them. It's because it's in accordance to his will. It has nothing to do with us. Well, his, his will takes into account what we want um, versus don't want. But sometimes his will overrides... Sometimes I might want a fancy sports car, but his overriding will—it's more important that I don't don't get that. So that over right. there's so always that. At the end of the day, no matter what you pray, it has nothing to do with what you pray. Even if you think that you've prayed selflessly, if you've prayed uh, with righteous intent, uh, you've prayed with uh, no no one um, you know with a grudge against you. You you, you run the gauntlet. You still may not get it because it's just a matter of whether God wants uh, you to have it or not. Prayer, but I, I don't know if, if it's in the sections that, that are there, but I, I've already mentioned my notion of Molinism. So the prayer is a, a necessary requirement for Christians to pray to to get that. That is part of his part and parcel of his will. Yes, you did mention so it, and I mentioned that all that is, all you're saying there is that God manipulates us to say the prayers he wants us to say, and then maybe somehow manipulates us to not pray the prayers he doesn't want us to pray, so he doesn't have to deal with those things. So it's it's all a part of the, the big erector set that he made. So he, he takes this person and he puts them over there in their prayer closet and he puts a prayer bubble in their mouth. And then he says, oh, look, that person prayed for this thing. I think I will grant it. Well, I'm sorry. That's not a game that makes any sense to a skeptic. And I'm, I'm surprised it makes uh, any sense to a Christian. Uh, well, it makes perfect sense to a lot of skeptics, actually. I, I'm reading a, a skeptic right now in my philosophy textbook who says pretty much the same thing. They don't believe in God, but... They have a weird sense of fatalism. You you yourself have advanced a weird form of fatalism against modal logic at times. Um, you know, a modal fatalism position of some of sorts. So there's nothing incoherent or illogical about saying this and saying that prayer is efficacious even within the context of God fulfilling his, his overall providential plan. It, that's part of his plan. Right. So my, if God puts the prayer on your lips that he wants to fulfill, then it's not really prayer that's being efficacious. It's just God doing what he wants to. The prayer layer is unnecessary. So, so you understand that God isn't determining my prayer. It would only be a problem if God determines that I say that prayer. He sets up the circumstances he knows in advance that I will freely choose to pray in these sets of circumstances, but he's not determining that I pray. It is kind of a determination because he set up the circumstances. He uh, foreknew your mindset. He knew what would trigger you to pray and for what. And so he sets up the circumstances that would trigger you to pray for that thing. Correct. That's, that's, that's the same not, thing. That's exactly what I'm saying. No, he just not. he just manipulated you to pray the prayer that he wanted you to pray anyway. It's not manipulation. I'm freely choosing oh, to I'm do sorry. it. He, he set up the circumstances so that you would say the prayer that he wanted you to say anyway. 
Yes, in his sovereignty. Right. But that this again, is that's God playing. Technique. This is God playing God with a in, in a rector set and uh, little fake people that he can sit and pose and make do certain things and put speech bubbles in their mouths. And it's it's a it's an no, absurd I, notion. I have a dual ability to pray or not pray in any set of circumstances. Do you? Yeah. Do you do you have the ability to violate God's sovereign will? Yes, actually. Uh, that's what free will is. When God gave us free will, um, the Bible's full of this. We can obey or reject. Um, okay, has so God has a plan for you to pray for you to get good grades, but you decide, I'm not going to pray instead. That's a possibility for you? What are you, are you asking? I think we're getting off track a bit again, but are you asking, is God's overall result going to be affected by me like god free will is also in this what did you call it a richter set or something yeah yeah and yeah an erector set <laughs> rector set i don't know what that is but it's all okay. right you didn't play as a kid <laughs> childhood it's uh the state that you were in before never mind um we we we'll, just we'll programmed childhood the cell phones and video games and all that but yeah, um it's okay <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so yeah, the, it's all part of the kit and caboodle. Our free will is, is a part of this thing. So I, there is no problem. As God is not putting a speech bubble there. God is not forcing me to pray. Um, but at the same time, yeah. But he has, he's developed his plan around what he knows your free will will be. Yes. Okay, yes. so he has a plan, and it's developed. You feel like you have free will, but you actually cannot step outside of the free will that God saw that you had before. You cannot change the universe right. that God sees. Yeah, you, that's correct. That is correct. But that that's just a lot. That's incoherent. I mean, you want to talk about incoherent. But Tony, you you can't freely choose to violate your free will, your your own free will choice. So of course, you you've already chosen that kind of thing, right? So it's. It doesn't make sense. And, and God already sense. made his plan around that, except God made his plan before you had free will. Because God's plan was before the foundations of the earth. So your free will just kind of magically fits into God's plan? I don't think so. God made you so that you would have the free will that fits into the plan he already had. What do you mean by he made the free will? My free will is still free. So Not, there's there's his, no issue. His plan was from before the foundations of the world. You were not before the foundation of the world. Correct. You came in time. And so it is absurd to say that you have free will under this God who had a plan for you before you existed that you cannot violate. Yeah, you see, I, I see this all the time with skeptics that you guys are just confused about the terminology. Yeah, so right. We're confused. That is true. Foreknowledge, <laughs> foreknowledge does not entail, and, and not even lay skeptics. My own professor, um, a PhD in philosophy, falls for this trick too. But um, yeah, foreknowledge is not predetermination. We are not determined, and that's all that matters. That's that's the key that matters. I have that dual ability in those sets of every set of circumstances. God 
knows in advance what I'm freely going to choose, but I'm still freely choosing. And that's all that matters. I don't Which care. Which came first, your free will or God's plan? Did, did God work his plan around your free will or did your free will work into God's plan? It, oh, that is an uh, important question. So it's the former, but the free will didn't actually exist because I didn't actually exist. But it, it's good through God's middle knowledge, his knowledge of what each free creature would okay. choose to if, do. If in God's any plan preceded you, then everything you're saying about free will is just sophistry as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, because God had a plan and by God, it's going to be carried out. And he can make it look like I made free will choices to do it all he wants to, but he had his plan before I was born. Yeah, but that that doesn't entail determinism. That's the only problematic element. His plan. Takes but I can't violate his plan. <laughs> so it is kind of determinism. Is it? If his plan, you, you have you have a dual ability. It's just that you won't. Okay, won't, can't, seems seems to be the same thing to me. Yeah, but you, the reason, no, well, it's not. Can't and won't are, are different words. They mean well, different things. But when, you're, but when you're saying that the plan was made before you were born, it's kind of the same thing. No, that, that doesn't matter. Foreknowledge doesn't matter. The fact that somebody knows what you're going to choose doesn't matter. You still chose it in that moment. The fact that they know it means that I can't choose anything else. Yeah, that's so fundamentally that's, wrong. If they, that's, but, it, that's but it's not. If they know it, if they know what I am going to do, then when the time comes for me to do it, I can't do something else. You can't because you choose to do that. But it's right? it's you, on rails at that point. It's not an open. It's not an open field. It's on rails. Once a person knows what the future is, if in fact it's true knowledge of the future, not some alternate universe, that thing is. It is simply yeah, set. Just, it is. It is determined. You can you can write wrong. it in ink at that point. It, it can't is, be any other way. No, no, that that's totally wrong. You, I can't believe that I, I understood this as a thirteen-year-old kid, I, and like many people, couldn't get it. But there is a clear distinction. Uh, before I knew any terminology or anything like that, I, I got the obvious point that is secular philosophy. These are different issues. Foreknowledge is not predetermination. They're not the same thing. They're different categories of things. You can't conflate them. And I'm saying that it doesn't matter whether they're different categories or not. Um, I'm not. I'm not so sure that they are different categories. But let's just. I'm not unaware of what you're trying to say. Um, Put it, put it this but way. But you're, you're saying that just because you knew what I was going to do, that didn't mean you decided what I was going to do. But it's irrelevant. Once you know what I'm going to do, I am determined. No, and if not, I'm not, not then if I'm not determined, then you don't know what I'm going to do. No, but that's not, that's not the way it works, though. It, you're not determined. So if you have some different definition of determined... Um, it, rather than a technical philosophical sense, then maybe I, I don't know what you're mean. Like, obviously I would say God is sovereign. He, he has his providential plan that will be accomplished, but in each individual moment, people have a dual ability to pray or not to pray. For example, it's not determined 
by the circumstances that God sets up that you will pray. It's it's not I can't not pray if if God creates a world like this. No, I, I can not pray at this at this second if I want to. I have the ability to pray or not pray. But it's just God knows in advance that I will pray if I'm in these circumstances. But it, there is no can't. There is no taking away of options or a dual ability, as philosophers say. And that's all that matters. If, if, if God honest, knows that you're going to pray, that option to not pray has been taken away. You just don't know it. No, because you still have... A won't doesn't imply a can't. Right? So if, if you're saying that I can't... I'm saying that you simply cannot. If God already knows you are going to do it, you no longer have the option to not do it. In fact, you see... I don't believe well, see, in libertarian free that. will. And I so the fact of the matter I is, I don't, I don't actually think you necessarily had a choice in the first place. That's so, true. Um, I know that uh, you don't believe in free will. But, right. but on so, free will, it's not an issue, right? The, the can't doesn't imply a – sorry, the, the won't doesn't imply a can't. Now, if you want to – you're talking in some – if you want to say you can't because you won't. That's what you're trying to say. Okay, the, there's still the won't. It doesn't matter. that The controversial issue is going to be, well, did I did I have a choice in praying or not? And the answer is yes, I do. And that that solves the issue. As let far me as I'm let me see if I can let me see if I can describe it uh, with a with a picture. This is a, um, a, a one of the ways to look at time. Uh, so this is not something I've invented, just something that I'm repeating badly. Um, so imagine space-time being a large picture that is uh, pasted on um, the canvas of the universe. Um, and we can see backward from where we are and forward from where we are. Um, and some say this is, in fact, space-time, that these things are fixed. And so our future is, right now, someone mm-hmm. else's past, uh, if you're far enough down the continuum. So the things that I'm about to say, they are listening to on a recording right now <laughs> that's, that's a million years old. Um, it is already fixed in time. I cannot say something different. It's already on tape. They've already heard it. It's just new to me right now. It that doesn't mean that I have a choice to simply go anywhere I want to go and say anything I want to say and do anything I want to do. With that picture of space-time, it's already done been done. And we're just catching up to it. So um, I'm not entirely sure that that's not uh, an accurate model of space-time. And so, you know, you you have then this god who can look at this map and say, okay, yeah, I see what David's going to do in two hours. It's, It's on the map. 
it is in fact what I am going to do in two hours. And I can have the illusion right now that I can determine what I'm going to do. But God is seeing the map just as sure as you're watching the show on, on uh, TV land. Andy Griffith is going to do what he's going to do. Barney is going to do what he's going to do. And there's not a damn thing you can do to change it or them. It's already on the tape. And so um, from that sense, no, if, if you will do a thing, then you are determined to do the thing and you can't do another thing. It's, it's done. It's already written in time. If what you're saying is that we have libertarian free will that is uncoupled from space and time, then from moment to moment to moment, the future can change and, in fact, is changing for people who are in the future now. As, as they look back at the, uh, the rerun of our lives, it's different every time because maybe we made a different decision. Right. So... I think this is getting a bit off topic, but I, I, I do reject that. I don't believe in a B theory of time or a static theory of time. The future does not exist. Um, it's it's only potential. It's not an actual thing that exists. Except, except for God, because he sees the actual. No, he doesn't. It doesn't actually exist. It's a proposition in his divine mind. It may be attached to pictures or something, but that's not... The actual future doesn't exist for God. Okay, well, tell me more. You now have my interest. Uh, well, like I said, it, it depends on your theory of time. I believe God is in time with creation, and I believe in an A theory of time. So there, there is no such thing as a past and future. There's only the present that exist, that actually exists. Um, now, okay, how, so how you believe that God is in time. And I seem to remember almost every Christian I've ever talked to about this say that God is outside of time. Well, not every Christian. A lot of Christians. Well, obviously you're not saying that, but this is uh, this is not new to you, right? Uh, you, um, you know, you understand that Christians, possibly the majority, say that God stands outside of time and He um, sees all times, past and future. Yeah, I think that I do think I would agree that the majority of Christians uh, would say God's timeless. Um, there are a heck of a lot that would say He's not, though. I think I think there is a large minority uh, of Christian scholars who would say that He's within time. The Bible itself doesn't adjudicate one way or the other; it just says He's eternal. Well, um, this is wildly off topic, I will say this is maybe yeah. the most interesting point of the of the day if you think that God is in time and does not hold a uh, absolute view of our temporal future. Yes, that is what I would say. Okay. I I don't think... That is interesting. I I don't know Uh, what I'm granting you with that, but I I certainly grant you the space to flesh out that theory. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I'm just wondering... Yeah, but it's, it's... I'm trying to relate it back to prayer somehow. So like, so you're, you're saying, so the prayer thing is that we ask for things and God grants or doesn't grant based on his overall will. But, you know, we might or might not ask and he might or might not grant it. It seems like it's up to the moment. And if that's the case, I'm not entirely sure where a sovereign plan fits into that. It's so it's through God's middle knowledge, right? Like how, 
so pretend God is temporal, exists in the past at some point. Um, my view gets complicated. It, again, this is one of the areas. I, I have told you about this before, right? I, I like William Lynn Craig's view. This is one of the four main things that he's been influential in my life is God's relationship through time. Um, so when we're talking about God's relationship in time, he has m middle knowledge. He knows the proposition, what proposition, the facts, all true facts, all true propositions, future tense, past tense. So he knows that two years from now, Dale will do this. Two years from now, he then knows the proposition, the true proposition that Dale is doing this. Um, so God changes. He's not immutable. Um, I don't believe in, in that. I believe God is immutable in certain ways. The Bible presents about five different ways for God to be immutable, but I do not believe in the same doctrine that Tony Costa would. Um, for example, that Calvinists, where God is a total, or Catholics, God is some four-dimensional block in space-time, totally unchanging, the Thomas Aquinas view of God. Um, so I reject, I, yeah, I don't know what you want to say. So that in terms of prayer, I believe that there is an actual dynamic interaction. When I'm praying, I'm actually talking to God at the same moment in time. It's it's Saturday, October 19th for God. It's Saturday, October 19th for Dale at 5.35 p.m. or whatever time. Um, so we are, we're actually having a real interaction, which I think viewing God as timeless or even in a higher dimension of time, like your hero, Hugh Ross, a hyper dimension or whatever, um, there's some, I, I find that as a bit problematic, it's not insurmountable. They, they can just say, well, yeah, God timelessly knows all the true propositions at once. This, and, this is what I thought you were saying all the way up to this point. So um, that's why I'm letting you flesh it out now, because this, this is a different theology about time. <laughs> yeah, I can do a show on it. I, like, I would like to listen to that show. <laughs> so Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, well, I guess in terms of the thing that I'm saying here that it's relevant to the topic of prayer is that I think it pr provides a more real dynamic interaction between God and pra prayer because a timeless God can't really truly interact with a time, a creation in time. That That's problematic. It creates certain problems, I think, obviously. You know, a lot of Christians would disagree with that. Um, yeah, that's one of the reasons I think that God has to be in time is because there has to be this real dynamic interaction. And, and there would be propositions that God couldn't know. He, couldn't, he wouldn't be omniscient if he's timeless. He wouldn't know that today is October 19th at 5.37 p.m. That's logically impossible for him to have that knowledge. But yet that proposition is a knowledge claim that me and you and human beings have so yeah th these are some of the reasons why i think god has to be temporal at least with creation uh that's the technical way that dr craig would put it he's timeless without creation not before but without creation and temporal with creation um so yeah i don't know yeah that's all i got for now, that's related to prayer and, and why God's, the nature of God's eternality is important to this topic, potentially. Okay, so let's uh, let's see if we can wrap up by uh, talking about some of these uh, final points here. So what does it take to get a prayer answered? Uh, it has to be within God's will. And uh, I, you know, we were arguing um, 
you know, that's that's part of the thy will be done nonsense prayer to me. Because if a God is all powerful and has an, a sovereign will, then of course his will is going to be done. Shut up. You don't need to actually say that. So what else uh, determines whether a prayer gets answered? Um, in terms of the Bible verses, so I think you would have to be a true Christian, have a relationship with God. If what you're asking for has to be good. Right? Okay, go, back, gives- go back to true Christian. Uh, because you said just a little while ago before this digression that God can answer the prayer of non-Christians if he wants to. Yes, he did. Yes, so did. it seems to me like that's not really a criteria at all. So here, so watch this why you got to listen to my words, right? So in terms of the Bible verses directed at Christians, so if you're going to say that, yes, I, I believe that God occasionally and compassionately might answer the occasional prayer, but... The Bible verses, if we're going to say, oh, well, then we would expect God to answer all the prayers of atheists. No. Maybe he has a special purpose for that. But the Bible only provides this expectation are directed towards true Christians. So if you're going to try and establish a problem with the biblical doctrine surrounding prayer, then you can't look at, oh, well, did he answer or not answer a prayer to an atheist or something like that? He, okay, he well, can... what about a not true Christian? Because it seems like your qualifier is setting it up for, you know, there's some Christians that are the real Christians and some Christians that are maybe not the real Christians or Christians that are not in good standing with God. What do you mean by true Christians here? Mm-hmm. So they meet the essential requirements to be a, a Christian. That's all I'm, the minimal mere Christianity approach. Okay, then just Christian. Uh, just Christian. Your qualifier makes it sound like you're talking about more than that. No, that's what because, I mean. Because we're, because we're setting it up to say, well, okay, well, that person's prayer wasn't answered, even though they're a Christian, but they weren't a true Christian. Uh, we're getting, getting ready to land a no true Scotsman fallacy here. Uh, you know, they... I say that. Do you, do you understand what that fallacy is? Oh, well, it's... Okay, I'll, yeah, because I, I find that people don't know understand how that works they just every time someone says the word true they just throw out oh that's a true scotsman thing but they have no idea what the fallacy actually is but yeah so so okay um so the point the point is here is i'm providing a potential condition on which we would can derive biblical expectations for the efficacy of prayer or whatever okay so you have to so you have to be a christian uh do do you have to be a christian in good standing so that's that's the thing that I'm asking in addition to what you said. So you're saying that you weren't qualifying that. I'm asking you to qualify it now. For these Bible verses uh, that we would expect. Um, so another condition is, yes, you, you, if you mean by good standing, there's a First John. Let's say you're a Christian, but you're in a gay relationship or, or a home or a, uh, um, uh, adulterous relationship or an, an uh, you're shacking up and you're not married um most christians most christians some christians would say that would be you know maybe you're still a christian but you're certainly not in good standing with god does that person's prayer get answered okay so we would so we would have an expectation that no right now god might in the same way he answers the atheist things but in terms of the bible verses in the new testament we wouldn't have an expectation for that and this is First John chapter three. It says you, you should be keeping his commands and do what pleases God. So if you are 
at fault in not keeping his commands, then we don't have an expectation to receive. Um, however, if it's, for example, I might not be keeping all those commands through ignorance, but I am a real seeker. I really am trying to read as much of the Bible as I, as I can, as quickly as I can to learn what his commandments are. He may, I might still be in a good standing, even though I'm disobeying, unknowingly, <coughs> sorry, unknowingly disobeying one of his commands through no fault of my own, except I haven't been a Christian for that long or hadn't had time to memorize every single command. But it sounds like, it sounds like no one can never really know whether they're in really good standing with God. No one can say this prayer should be answered because I know I'm in good standing with God. Um, well, you, you could, right? Yeah, I, I know that I'm in a good standing with God, even though I, I know that I might be committing sins that I'm ignorant are, are sins because I am repentful even of those. Um, I think there's even a, I remember, do you remember the verse that even says to pray for sins that you are unaware are sins? So, no, I mean, that, but it, it seems like some, something that's in there somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm trying to remember where it I is. Mean, the, the, the idea that there are secret sins uh, is an uh, idea that is oft repeated in Christian circles anyway, and that secret sins could be somehow affecting your relationship with God. This is something that I hear in sermons all the time. In fact, I uh, pop on a good old uh, YouTube sermon about prayer from time to time. I might uh, drop a link in from uh, one of my favorite Benny Hinn uh, lessons on prayer. Um, but yeah, I hear, I hear it taught all the time that, um, you know, sin separates you from God. And if you have sins that are separating you from God, that's going to affect your prayer life. Well, who doesn't have sin separating them from God? Uh, it's kind of part of my point there. You don't, you don't know. Um, it's, it's very hard to dis determine that at any given time, all right, I don't have anything separating me from God right now. Now's a good time to pray. And, and then right. that thought might be considered haughty, and thus a secret sin, and boom, <laughs> her prayer won't get answered. Standing requires it's broader. It, it's it's not about are you sinning knowingly or not. Um, I mean, I I still commit sins that I know are sins at times as a Christian. But I, right. I well, and there are, there are Christians that would say that that's separating, that's blocking your prayer life. Well, yeah, there's verses about grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit. And, you know, Christians go through ebbs and flows of being more distant and, and that sort of thing. That's fine. But in terms of answers of prayers, even a distant Christian could get their prayer answered, right? It's not an absolute falsification test. But there is well, this condition. No, but it's right. But it is a condition that says if your prayers aren't getting answered, that could be the thing. Sure. That yeah. That that's could be. That could that's all I'm that. saying. Um, so you had an but, unresolved. But it's okay. necessary. If you if you should be, I think what I would say is like, look, it shouldn't be about the action, but it's more about your overall attitude. Are you repentant and wanting to do 180 degree uh, from of all sins, regardless? That that's how I would define good standing. And once you discover what commands are good or not based on as you grow as a Christian, do you obey them or do you wantingly, no, I, I want to commit adultery or whatever. So uh, yeah, that Christian's not going to get his prayers answered. That's even debatable if he's even a Christian. He, he wouldn't. He 
he just doesn't want to obey. Well, sure, but even quite apart from the person's heart, there are plenty of things that people can engage in where a person would say, you know what, that's separating, that that's dulling your prayer life. You know, well, I didn't, I didn't know smoking pot was wrong. Well, you know, ignorance of the fact that you didn't know it's wrong doesn't mean that you're not letting demons into your body and um, hurting your prayer life. Well, I didn't know playing the, the witchy. Ouija board was wrong. I would have stopped if I had known that. Well, yeah, but you're still bringing in satanic forces, and that's uh, doling your prayer life. So, uh, just having the desire to be doing what's right is not what makes your prayer life good. At least by the many preachers I've heard talk about it. Yeah, well, I, I just disagree with them because I remember we did the show on on Halloween or the Ouija board, or, or was it Spiritual Warfare? One of them. Yeah. Where I. Was, I I made that argument that we, I don't. We may have deleted that part. I, I, <laughs> so we uh, made... about the Ouija board. I, I remember right. it was summer, so I think that's still there. But yeah, it's um, yeah, I, I disagree with that. I, I think that someone could potentially take part in a Ouija board and still be a Christian, and they don't. Well, understand. let's just say that different Christians have different ideas about that. So what? What about unresolved grievances with someone? Um, in fact, I think the, yeah. what the passage says is if your brother has uh, an ought against you, uh, not even that you have one against your brother. So the, the idea that somehow you've What's got to verse? be right with all people in order for your prayers to be answered, it, it seems unreasonable uh, just what, as a, as a human. What's Because I, so I'll, I while you're... Know, I you hold it up. <laughs> I can uh, it up. Okay, well, I would really like to know, because I don't think that verse says... So I'll tell you how my church takes that verse because we quote that every time. Like in our church, uh, people, the pastor will get up and actually admit, make a confession before we take. Matthew five twenty three. Keep going. I'll I'll pull it up here a little bit. Right. So so he does this not in relation to prayer, but in relation before you can take part in communion. He's like, does anyone have any? grievances against their brothers or right. something like that make sure you come to the lord's supper pure um so he applies that to communion not to prayer so that this is why i want to see this verse matthew 5 yeah therefore if you are offering a gift at the altar and uh there uh remember that your brother or sister has something against you leave your gift there in front of the altar first go uh, and be reconciled to them, and then come back and alter your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversaries. So, uh, taking them so the altar. So but it's talking about communion. So it, it's kind of saying like you should come with a a clean heart, right? Like the altar is communion for back then, right? Um, so it's uh, well, saying, there, would, there wouldn't have been any communion at this particular time when Jesus was talking. This is uh, really talking about your, you know, if you want your gift. Uh, I think it had to do with your monetary gift or whatever being received. Um, you know, don't don't go to God with your uh, a a more broad interpretation. People, this is David about to be uh, preacher Dave here for a second. Um, don't don't assume that you can go to God with your worship and be in good standing if you're not in good standing with. Uh, your brothers. You cannot ignore grievances that you have with him and that they have with you and just bypass all of that and be holy. Uh, you, so that is that is not, in fact, um, 
what you should do here. And so I think that's the broader idea of this passage. Uh, And so whether it's bringing a monetary gift, whether it's taking communion, whether it's praying for things, uh, you don't have, in fact, a clean relationship with God until you clean it up with your brothers. I I need to read it for myself, and I can't find it. Matthew 5, but I can't see what... Uh, verse 23 is the actual verse. You can uh, go back okay. to um, you know, verse 21 if you want to really get ahead of the thought. But uh, these are a lot of kind of disparate sayings strung together. And so gotcha. the idea of making a cohesive thought of them is kind of an um, gotcha. interpretation. It's talking about a sacrifice, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, it's okay. it's um, an interpretive challenge anyway. And so I'm just, I'm just telling you how I would have interpreted that if I were making a sermon. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that yeah, it's it's not really about prayer, but it it it, it does regard to things in general. Yeah, you need to have a, a right standing when you come before God, right? If you know that, hey, this guy is peeved off at me because I, I wronged him or whatever, and you haven't taken steps like apologized for that or something, then yeah, wait, go and fix fix that problem, and then come to God with a pure, clean heart. He may forgive you or not. That's his fault and his problem if he doesn't. If he's a true Christian and you are truly repentant, you apologize for whatever you did, he should forgive you. And then you can come back and take part in communion or give a sacrifice or have your worship be considered pure. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I think you're reading it in if you want to apply this to prayers of not even just prayers but prayers of supplication you this verse isn't saying you want to get you want to get that new car go and apologize to your brother and then come back and ask for it and you'll get it and that's not okay. that's just not well, here i disagree i think that it includes that i think the, the whole idea of coming to god uh, approaching god um with with either your gifts or requests uh is you don't get to approach god at all if you've got the barrier uh of your brother that you don't that you leave unresolved I, I guess it's again it, it's reading it in it's not ridiculous um, but sure I can go along with that in, in terms of saying yeah you've got to approach that's part of repentance right it's a sin if you are angry at your brother or, but, it, or, but it's also one of those things that you can always and by the way I, I pull this from sermons hundreds of them <laughs> that that people might pull out uh, in explaining why your prayer life isn't as effective. Well, you need to get your stuff straight with your brothers. Who do you have a grievance against? Who has a grievance against you that you've left unresolved? Maybe you need to go fix that. Well, we're humans. There's always a grievance. <laughs> there's there's always something. There will always be something unresolved. I I just think that it's one of those things where you can say, okay, well, I give up. Um, Maybe it's because, but like, no, like I have no, I have no grievances at the moment. People who have grievances with you and you probably should clear it up, but I don't know. They, you might say, well, those people aren't my brothers. This is, look, this is, this is all very hard, but I'm just saying there, there's a way of reading this. Uh, and it's a way that I would have read it. Um, I I think it is in fact the correct uh, reading to say that that, would be a barrier to prayer and those people who uh sermonize in that way i think are correct uh when they yeah, when they use it that way feasible let's pretend that's correct that that is a feasible thing i i do it all the time uh nobody nobody in my congregation has a grievance against me uh that i'm 
aware of and there there's no occasion I can think of where I would reasonably expect someone to have a grievance against me. I have no grievance against any one of them, uh, even when I disagree with, you know, like I've, I've said, there are things I disagree with my pastor. There's a lot that I agree with him on, but I don't have a grievance with him just because I disagree with him. Do, so do there's, you, there's nothing. Do you think would... prayer has a formula, uh, a, a popular formula for prayer? When yeah. I was... Uh... When I was in church, I would have said that all prayers have to begin with an address to God the Father, not address, not an address to Jesus. So, for instance, if someone says, Dear Jesus, I'd say your prayer is already disqualified. Wrong formula. Um, no, I reject that. I don't it. mind you rejecting it. I'm just telling you, this is I didn't I didn't invent this. Uh, <laughs> mine was, yeah. oh, was the only, I you were asking me, so sorry. Was it the only denomination uh, that had this type of formula? And I would say that it would all need, ways need to end with uh, in Jesus' name. So while you're not praying directly to Jesus, you're praying uh, in the name of Jesus, not in the name of the Father or in the name of the Holy Spirit either. You're praying in the name of Jesus. This is a very direct formula. I can give you specific reasons why some people would have this formula. It's a formula all the same. I would contend that most Christians do believe that prayer has some kind of formula, though. And uh, they, it just may be unspoken, and they may just not know what they think it is. But they think there is a difference between talking to God and talking to someone else. And so they do, in a more formulaic way, talk to God in, in ways different than they talk to other people. It, it just shows that in their mind, there's some kind of formula distinguishing a proper prayer from some other uh, mundane conversation. Um, and I would just say that that's something that's not fleshed out very well in a lot of people's mind, but, they, but it still sits there somewhere. Do you believe that there is a formula for prayer? No, not at all. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious what, what are, are of any of their reasons, uh, these people's reasons, is it pure head canon? Like, are they saying, well, Jesus prayed this way, therefore we have to pray the same way that Jesus prays. And that's why they'll, they'll well, say, I, would, like, I wouldn't call it head canon, but I would say that, yeah, for some people with a formula, the Lord's prayer is, um, you know, they take pieces from that. Um, okay. And and they would say, you know, Jesus taught his disciples pray this way, and so they believe that the, he gave a particular formula for how to pray, if not the exact words, a a formula when teaching them to pray. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I would say that for a lot of uh, fundamentalists, that is a part of where they get their formula from. Yeah, um, I I guess I just. I would just question, like I'm, I'm open to it if it's biblical, if there's actual, but it sounds like there's headcanon in accepting premise too. So I'll, there's always I, there's always headcanon. Um, so I'm not I'm not saying that it's not some headcanon involved with it. For instance, when Jesus says pray this way and he gives the Lord's prayer, uh, all would say, well, he doesn't mean those exact words, but he means these particular principles. Now, which principles do you take from that? Well, that that's a matter of headcanon. But they they do believe that there are some principles that are there uh, that you're supposed to take from it. And as far as the exact words go, you know, when the Catholic Church or when some Bible changes the words of the Lord's Prayer, people get up in arms because they do think that something sacred has been violated. So 
I, I like for like I don't think there's anything wrong with a formulized prayer in and of itself, but it, it becomes wrong when they insist on it without biblical warrant. Like if there's I, I think that there are there are principles. If Jesus is teaching you how to pray, there's probably some principles that I apply, like giving thanks to the Father or confessing your sins or whatever whatever the principles are that the church is saying. So yeah, that that's good, but don't become dogmatic. If I want to say a prayer where I'm just thanking God, I, I don't have to confess my well, sins. What if you say a prayer where there's no thanks to God? That's fine. Well, well, but what if you decide that some of the formula, one of the formulas is that every prayer ought to include thanks to God? And you say, yeah, you know what? I don't want to pray a prayer that includes thanks to God. Then someone would have the um, grounds to say, well, you, that, then your prayer is uh, hindered because yeah, it's, it's not the proper formula. Yeah, but that, that's what I'm saying is without biblical warrant to, to state that, without, without following this proper formula, each and every single principle has to be in every single prayer. That's the premise. Yes. That's the headcanon so part. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you that you don't, you don't accept that, but I'm just trying to, trying to also give you that many people do. Okay. And so maybe maybe not in your denomination, but certainly beyond my denomination, that there are many people with very highly formulaic ideas of prayer, uh, and would simply say that you are you are praying in a profane way, uh, and not at all following the formula that God set out, and that's why your prayers are being hindered. So yeah, this is why it comes down to, and you mentioned in the show that I misunderstood your point. You're interested in just Christian versus Christians, whatever they claim. I'm not. I could be totally wrong. Maybe there is a verse that says we have to follow an incantation. I go by what the Word of God tells me. If you show me that verse, I will totally reverse my thing and say, yeah, you you have to say amen after every single prayer. Uh, no, the best I can do is give you biblical examples of why people think the way they do about it. I I am not actually going to try to prove that one formula is right over another formula or that there is a formula. I'm simply saying that it is it is not just people making things up in their head that they think there's a formula. They think they have biblical reasons for believing that there is a formula. And I, I can talk about those reasons. I, I can't tell you whether, you know, that's some kind of orthodox view or what the writers actually intended. Yeah, um, so all I would say is be open to evaluate the, those reasons. If, if it really is warranted biblically or if it's just made up headcanon, like it, it's like it reminds me of the regulative principle of scripture. It's complete nonsense that everything the... Uh, everything that's not explicitly mentioned in the Bible is forbidden. That, that's total nonsense. I can play video games. I can uh, do this. And obviously, I'm. Th this is how they regard that. We have to be like a first century church when we do worship. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Unless I take the stance of Martin Luther. If it's not prohibited, then it's, it's allowed. If it's not a direct immoral thing to do or it's not explicitly prohibited... Um, then it, I, yeah, I, I get that. Others disagree. Um, I, I suspect Tony Costa might disagree with that. Um, yes. Yeah. So, um, how about this one? This one. This will be easy. Um, you had a little doubt. Um, I contend that no one can pray without having at least a little doubt. 
and that it's unhealthy to pretend like you don't have doubt when you, you know, ask the universe for something. So, uh, does that does that quash your prayer or not? Uh, so, depend doubt of what, right? So, with the grain of doubt, obviously, people do have doubts. I have doubts about the truth of Christianity. That it's possible. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that Christianity is true. So, you doubt that your prayer is going to be answered. Let's just keep it simple. You, they will be. They will be. They have been. I, I'm living proof. The majority of my prayers have been answered so uh, yeah okay but so so if a person prays for something and they kind of have doubt that it'll come true does that poison the prayer or not so yeah so doubts as to the efficacy of prayer so i want to see my answer to this again i said okay so this is in james chapter one so this is talking about okay having no doubts for a request for wisdom you're praying for wisdom uh, for God uh, in context it's about the essential truth so yeah this verse is talking about do you trust that God will reveal as a real seeker God will reveal the truth to you uh, I have no doubts whatsoever that God will reveal the truth he's obligated as a morally perfect God to reveal the truth to all real seekers sure, but I don't think we need to go to James Jesus says on a number of occasions to ask without doubting I mean, this, this, is a, this is a pretty simple, straightforward uh, idea that's repeated often enough in the Gospels. Uh, and so I'm just saying that no one can ask without doubting. It's just not possible. Uh, and so if what you're saying is doubt is the poison pill that kills prayer, no prayer should be answered because no prayers go up without at least a little doubt. Well, I, I have no doubt uh, at all that God will answer all of my prayer. I, I expect him to answer my prayers. Every single time. As, right. as you just as think I'm. that some of the answers will be no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what this verse is talking about. <clears throat> well, but maybe not the verse that says to pray as if you already received it. Yeah. It's it's not meaning that literally in terms well, of, of get whatever you want. Tell me what it means. Like I said, it, you pray consistent with God's standards, uh, God's will. And those qualifications, whereby God, you 100%, no doubt, given that Christianity is true, God, the Christian God, will answer your prayers and give you good gifts. He will give you whatever is right in accordance with his providential plan. Um, I have no doubts about that at all. And, yeah, it doesn't matter whether I get what I want specifically in that moment or not. I know that God is answering those prayers if if everything is done properly in accordance with some of the conditions that we've outlined. Therefore, um, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Uh, that's Matthew eleven twenty four. It's a pretty straightforward statement. I um, sure. It, so it, it's what I'm what I'm suggesting is the level of confidence that it's suggesting you have. And um, I argue that no mentally stable person can pray a prayer as if they've already received it without any doubt in their heart. Can't be done. And so you can say, well, you know, God might choose to answer your prayer despite the fact that you had a little doubt. But this seems to be a poison pill that says, you know what, prayers actually on balance should never be answered. 
Yeah, it's not about that. It's saying you have absolute faith. That that verse is talking about that you have absolute faith that God will answer any and all prayers and give you what you need. Okay, no, uh, no, no. It, it does not say that. It do, no. That's that's okay. So this is my take on the verse. Okay, it's but not, you're, you're not taking not that on the verse. The verse says, "Whatever you ask for in prayers, believe that you have received it." It doesn't mean it doesn't say believe that God will answer you. No. Where is it, John? Uh, Mark eleven twenty four. Mark eleven twenty four. Okay. Uh, I can read a little context. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says. Uh, this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, uh, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that uh, what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So, I mean, even if you say, well, that doesn't mean, you know, literally moving mountains, fine. I don't even want to engage in that discussion. Um, it still means you can pray for big things. Um, and if you just believe hard enough, you're going to get it. It doesn't say if you believe hard enough, God will answer your prayer, and one of those answers might be no. Right. So I think it does. This is what it's talking about, and I'm supported by biblical scholars on this, right? And here's a comment. I'm supported by Mark. Sorry. No, you're not. So do you think that Mark, uh, who was a witness to the Apostle Peter's death, that and a witness to the apostles, uh, didn't he pray and not get everything he received, he wanted? Did he just go nuts when he wrote this? I have no idea what these guys were thinking when they wrote this. I so no, uh, I'm not gonna get sucked into that. I, I'm just I'm just quoting the guy who wrote this, and I'm telling you what he said. Now you're gonna tell me what he meant that is going to be something very different from what he said, and I'm not going to be able to track with that. But So remember Tony Costa, right? You've got to look at all of Scripture, and we know for a fact there are obvious conditions. We also have the fact that Mark, before he would have written this, would have known 100% fact that not every Christian, even the apostles, the best, didn't get everything they prayed for. So he cannot mean this literally in that in that way, it's impossible for him to have meant that, that literally and not known better. He's, it's obvious that there's something else going on here, and this okay, is why... Okay, but it's bad doctrine then, because if you're just going to give me the caveats of, you know, it has to be within God's will and it has to be unselfish motive, let's... given. Let's take that as a given. You, you still cannot pray this way for something that you believe is absolutely God's will and you don't have any selfish motives or whatever it, without having a little doubt because the optimal, the key thing here is that you do so with the confidence that it has already happened. That's how confident you should be that you're going to get it. Right. Again, it, it's the way he's using the words, right? You, It's talking about you have absolute confidence this is a different verse from the Mark one, just for the audience. It's it's saying that you have absolute confidence that God will answer your requests for wisdom, is in James 1. That's the grain of doubt verse, so I, I don't know if you're moving on to other verses, they, they probably say something else. But Okay, I just quoted you Mark 11, 24. In fact, I went to Mark 11, 23 and 24. I understand you want to talk about James because it's talking about something else, but how about we talk about the passage that I am actually quoting for this point? Mark 11? Yes. 
but we already did, right? So it's it's not literal because you've got to take into account all the scriptures at once where there are universal qualifications. Then you would have to use common sense. We know for a fact that okay. from well, human then I use common no. sense and say all of this Bible crap is bull because my common sense tells me that there's no way to take any of it seriously. And I'm sure that, you know, if I just apply a little bit of common sense, then I can, I can make a Bible story that works for me and there's, you know, no you, magic God. And, you know. Answer this, right? Do, do you think that it's plausible that Mark, the author who wrote this verse, got every single thing he prayed for and every single person that he knew who was a Christian got everything they prayed for. So he would have no way of knowing well, that. Honestly, I don't know what story he was trying to feed us, but this is the same Mark uh, who, um, you know, at the end of his chapter, someone, possibly not him, said that it would be okay to handle poisonous snakes um, and it'd be good to go too. So, I mean, these people believed all kinds of things. Uh, I, I do not know what this particular guy believed, uh, but I know what he wrote. Right, but I, I'm saying from, we know for a fact biblically that the apostles didn't always get what they wanted. Well, we also but know for a fact biblically that Jesus didn't come back in their lifetimes, but uh, I think we can make a strong case that they thought that he was going to. Sure, there is evidence for that, right? Um, Paul, I think Paul even says he was mistaken in one of his letters. I need to double check that, but I, the point, the point is here though, this is something they could not have been mistaken about. It, it's very, it proven beyond reasonable doubt that. No, it, Mark, no, it, it's not because they could it. headcanon it the same way we're doing it today by just saying, yeah, Jesus said that you can pray for anything with confidence to get it, but oh, well, the reason you didn't get that new toga is because, uh, you know, you and uh, Billy over there uh, had that fight the other day and you need to clear that up. Oh, you owe uh, Joe over there some money. You need to you need to clear that up. You know, you can headcanon all kinds of reasons why your prayer didn't work. But that doesn't mean that people don't teach today, literally, that it's supposed to. Okay, well, that, that's all I care about then, because I'm going by. So Mark himself knew better. He, he's saying the exact same thing I was, but you're trying to imply that oh, there's a difference from G Jesus. He thought that you would get whatever you you well, wanted. I'm saying that Mark thought it too, but he also had a bunch of head cannon where you know you could explain away why it didn't work. So t people are teaching this same doctrine today. The people in the Word of Faith movement uh, who actually believe uh, sincerely uh, that that stuff is true, they, they believe what they're saying about faith and prayer and wealth. They understand that they're sitting in buildings where there are poor people uh, who aren't making money. Some of them are poor themselves. They still believe it. The, the fact that it is not working out the way an empiricist would uh, say that it should doesn't mean that they don't believe it with all their heart. I think it does. I think that this is some this is one area where they would just know better. They would know Jesus himself. No, they don't. Christians don't know it today. They don't know that prayer doesn't work. They still keep praying. <laughs> of course they, of course, well, I'm saying that Jesus himself prayed for things and didn't get them. Um... 
so he would have known about these qualifiers in his in that prayer that you quote he gives the qualification thy will be done it come this comes from him so he he provides these qualifications to respond to the fact that it's not a lottery system it's not hey pray god is the jackpot pray for chicken nuggets tonight or pray for a nice right. corvette and you'll so get it all the, all you're saying is uh, that at the end of the day there are more reasons why you should expect your prayer not to work than for it to work um, I, I, am, I simply pointed out at least one passage I could have uh, done more where the Bible says that doubt would be one of those things that hinders your prayer. You pray uh, as if you don't have doubt. Uh, and yet, uh, you can't pray that you, uh, as if you don't have doubt because you know that one of the real most more likely things is whatever you ask for isn't going to happen. So you're going to have to pray with some kind of head cannon in your mind in place already that, you know, this prayer isn't going to be answered, but here's why, and it's still okay because God is still kind of answering it. That's that's not a prayer worth praying. It's certainly not a prayer worth debating about, and I, I don't want to debate it. Um, I, am, I am simply explaining why most prayer, most people should not expect their Christian prayers to be answered. Another one is selfish motive. I, I don't I don't want to go and quote a bunch of Bible verses here. Uh, read your Bibles, people. Um, I, I would simply say to this that all motives that humans have are selfish. Um, they are they are all self motivated. Look at the people on our prayer list. These are people that we know or care about, or people that people that we know or care about knows and cares about. Um, this is our world. You know, we pray for things that matter to us. Um, you could say, well, I prayed for world peace the other day, but that's just because you want to live in a world that's peaceful and not war-torn. Everything is selfish in that sense. And so one could always say, ah, your motives are selfish. Um, and uh, finally, of course, God doesn't um, interfere with free will. This is, the, this is the most laughable of them all. Then why the hell are you praying? Of course you think he intervene, <laughs> intervenes in free will. Uh, you want him to. <laughs> you, you want him to make the bully stop hitting you. <laughs> um, of course you believe that. But if God doesn't intervene uh, in your free will or the results of other people's free will, then stop praying. You're wasting his time. Anyway, uh, I'm done. Anything to say there? Um, so, so yeah, I do think that if you're being selfish, that's the same as being unrepentant, right? And not obeying. So it's kind of, you're, you're just praying selfishly and greedily. Um, Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. So I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for yourself to have enjoyment or that sort of thing. But it's also got to be always selfless, mindful of the impact on your neighbors, your brothers, uh, on God and his plans. Um, so that's what the text is really getting at in, in terms of that, right? It's, it's not all, if your motive is, I want a sports car all for me because I just want to enjoy it. Rub, I want to rub my neighbor's nose in it. He'll be so jealous when he sees that or something and I'm going to laugh. Well, that's, uh, yeah, see, not, that's just, that's not selfish. That's just evil. <laughs> okay. You, you can, it's, it's selfish to say, I want a nice sports car. It's not wrong. I don't. I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, there are things I want, uh, and when I have enough money to buy the things I want, I buy them. Um, I'm not sorry. Also, I know for a fact that there are other people in the world who would like them too, but they can't afford them. I, so, so sorry. So, so yeah, we 
we're not disagreeing. It's the Bible, the qualification that I would say the Bible is, is if you're sinfully selfish. But I just said that it's good to be self to want benefit. I, I'm not sinning when I'm enjoying a movie at a movie theater. For my, I'm going to enjoy that. I'm not sinning when I buy, um, I don't, I don't know, buy a, a pepperoni pizza. We were talking about that with Tony today. So, um, yeah, I enjoy a, a pizza slice. Um, I'm allowed to do that, but I'm not being sinfully selfish. And that's what the, it's going against, right? It's it's okay to want things for yourself and also to bear in mind, like, I, yeah, I want to share something. Like, okay. I, I so share I'm just things. saying that we're all selfish. I mean, you add the sinfully selfish to it, and so I don't, I don't actually know what that means. Um, well, you you gave the example, right? You said it, that's just evil. Yeah, because these beings. Right, but that's not selfish at that point. You know, that's yeah. I wouldn't even describe that as selfish. I mean, you may have started with selfishness, which is just self. That's just human, and, and then you then you went to malice somehow. Um, no, but it's selfish, right? Mal malice is a form of selfishness. You you want to derive pleasure out of mocking and and uh, showing off in front of these people, right. and you know it will. Upset them. So that's that's a type of Schadenfreude, I think, but I, I wouldn't call that selfish. Um, well, I, I would. Um, but yeah, well, <laughs> um, your your world is a little bit weirder than mine, but fine. I um, no, I mean, there's nothing. Um, I think you could stop it. There's nothing wrong with being selfish, uh, and so the idea that your prayer should be hindered because of that is silly, because we're self people, and. Um, you know, everything we do is self-ish um, in in that sense. Uh, we're always trying to better ourselves. Um, and, you know, we try to better ourselves even when that can't better someone else. Right. Um, you know, I would, yeah, I would like a better wardrobe even if my neighbor does not have a better wardrobe. I don't feel, you know, I, I would like my neighbor to have a better wardrobe. But when I have enough money to buy a new shirt, I'm going to buy one for me and not my neighbor. Sorry. Right. So there's no problem. The Bible doesn't disagree with that. Um, I don't disagree with that. I, I think that we are allowed to be selfish and to derive. I, I'm a person. I'm worthy of respect, just like all, every other human. Okay. Um, well, God cares about me and my concerns, just so like that, that. Wouldn't that wouldn't be a concern then with this particular prayer list? We. Uh, seem to agree there. But it, it, I, if it's sinfully, though, that we can just generalize it. In whatever you do, whatever your motivations, they can't be sinful or, or unrepentant. Um, so I, I think some forms of selfishness are sinful. You think that's weirdo land? Okay. Um, but yeah, that's there. There's good selfishness and there's bad selfishness. There's. Well, I, I think jealousy. a lot of Christians will probably disagree with you um, and feel a little bit uncomfortable with you agreeing with me on that point. So uh, I guess that strange uh, place of uncomfortability is a good place for me to end my particular points. Um, yeah. And believe it or not, Joyce, I'll name drop her because you'll, pro you'll probably think of her as someone who disagrees. She agreed with me. Remember, um, we did a show on heaven and I was saying, yeah, it's good for me to to want the benefit of going to heaven. There, there's got to be something in it for me to follow the religion. And, and Joyce wholeheartedly concurred so there might not be as radical disagreement as, as you might think i did say uh, that joyce um, would be one that would disagree with you though okay <laughs> so okay i, was I wasn't, wasn't actually thinking about her as um <laughs> one okay would i, I assumed i thought you were saying like i'm like 
radical, like totally. I, I know more Christians than Joyce and you and Jenny. <laughs> I mean, hi guys. I mean, I'm glad you're around, but you're not the only Christians I know. I grew up in this stuff. Most of the people I know are Christians. <laughs> so. Yeah, but I, I don't exaggerate. You don't know that. You probably don't know as many as me, Joyce, and Teddy combined. Who, oh, I, don't, I didn't say that. I said most of the people I know are Christians. I've look. I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive, my friend. <laughs> That's true. So, I, I I assure you, most of the people in my contact list are Christians. Um, well, you've been a self-professing Christian. You you admit? Well, yeah, maybe maybe not a real one. I don't know. Who knows? You, yeah. you maybe you know. I'll check with you. I know because you told me. You revealed to me that you never experienced the Holy Spirit witness in your life. So well, that wouldn't be my fault. That would be the Holy Spirit. He knew my address the whole time. Um, so. <laughs> Um, you know, maybe I didn't have the blood on the right doorpost or something. I don't know. Uh, I used dog's blood. Was that was that the wrong blood? Um, anyway, <laughs> so all right. that covers uh, all your points. That does cover all of my points. So uh, at the end of the day, um, since I brought this up, I will just close out. Prayer is one of these things that is kind of a litmus test, I think. Uh, and if I'm a Christian uh, trying to be an evangelist, I might actually start out a conversation with a stranger about prayer and just take their temperature um, as to how they respond to the concept of prayer. If they respond favorably to the concept of prayer, you've probably got a good candidate because you've got a person who already has a kind of a mindset and a worldview uh, that is open to a lot of the Christian ideas. Um, if you have a person who does not respond well to prayer, you probably don't have a good candidate uh, because they have a worldview that closes, that forecloses on many necessary prerequisite Christian ideas. Uh, this is this is not something that you can fix. You cannot, as a Christian, convince someone as an atheist that prayer makes sense. You have to change other things about their worldview before prayer can make sense. In my case, you would have to give me a lobotomy. Um, it it simply cannot make sense to me. Uh, the physics of the world doesn't allow for the possibility of prayer. Not just anything is possible in the world that I have inhabit. You have to know so little about physics that you think that anything is possible um, uh, and, and kind of attack it that way. Um, prayer doesn't make philosophical sense to me for all the reasons I gave. And once you get it deep enough into the theology, it doesn't make theological sense either. Uh, and so there's no level at which prayer makes sense to me. And I don't think that, uh, that I can reverse that dial. And I think a lot of skeptics find themselves in this place. And so, um, you know, finally, if you, if you want to talk about prayer, I don't think that it's something that we're going to be able to talk about with critical analysis. Prayer is, from top to bottom, magical thinking. And critical analysis and magical thinking do not mix. So um, I hope not so much to convince anyone of my way of thinking, but to at least explain why your way of thinking does not make sense to people like me. And uh, to know that I understand why my way of thinking doesn't make sense to people like you. Uh, we have a bigger barrier to cross, uh, and maybe we can find ways to do it, but not just yelling at each other across the room 
about prayer and magic. That is never going to get us anywhere, Dale. Yeah, so uh, for my last final word, um, I've admitted, look, I don't have all the T's crossed or all the I's dotted when it comes to a full biblical doctrine of of prayer. Uh, There are some areas I can learn in. Um, That said, it works. It works fine for the vast majority of Christians. We don't have a formalized set of falsification criteria like, okay, God, you better give me this or else you're fake. Or if I do this, then I expect this when I when I pray. Um, I don't think prayer is meant to be used in that way. That's not its purpose. And for 2,000 years, I've never heard any Christians complain about how they pray that there's no confusion on their part when they're interacting with god as a dynamic entity one-on-one in sincere prayer and talking to god which is what i think the essential definition of god is they don't seem to think it's incoherent they don't have a problem understanding what they're doing um they don't need a, a formal set of criteria to know that they are actually engaging with god or or talking with god when they're engaged in prayer so yeah, I, I think there's nothing wrong with applying critical analysis. Um, we can do that in, to certain areas. I don't think that prayer will uphold uh, in terms of skeptics' aims to come up with a falsification list. I, I think that my studies of the, the evidence for double-blind prayer studies and that sort of thing, both I don't want to give too much away, but David and I kind of a, a, agree. I'm sort of iffy on that kind of evidence. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe it's not meant to be a G-Belief authenticating event. Maybe it's not meant to be a, a negative evidence against the truth of Christianity. It's it's something else. It's These are commandments for Christians. And since Christians don't complain about being able to talk with God, they may not have everything spelled out, but they know they talk to God, and that's what matters at the end of the day. So, yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, next week... Tony Costa. Tony Costa. See yes, it he, he uh, ripped David to shreds on the ontological argument. So okay, you know, I was gonna let it. I was gonna let it go there. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna let it go there. <laughs> I was just telling them the topic. They'll tune in and find out. So okay, so sausage made. Uh, we have already at this point had our conversation with Tony Costa. We know exactly how it went, and uh, you're gonna want to stick around for that. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a good. I think it was overall. It was a good show. We covered certain topics, uh, including um, one type of objection that me and David didn't cover in our last show. So yeah, uh, you guys tune in for that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, if you're thinking, oh, you guys already covered this. Nah, you you need to tune in for the Tony Costa show. Cool. Have a good week, everyone. Bye-bye.